Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 20% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP11. This week on TWIP, the camera manufacturer industry is abuzz with big news from Olympus, Canon, and Red. Google Plus rolls out pages and an interview with Photoshop guru Jeff Shiwi. It's Wednesday, November 16th, 2011, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Mr. Thomas Hawk, Steve Simon, and Martin Bailey. Hey, guys. Hey, Frederick. Good to be here. Good to to have this trifecta of power on the show. Thomas, (laughs) what is going on with you? You and I have not talked, and it feels like about, I don't know, a decade and a half. What's been going on in your world? (laughs) Well, it's definitely been too long, but not quite that long. But, uh, you know, I've just been kind of doing the same thing I've always been. I've been, uh, you know, really uh, jumping in with both feet into Google Plus lately and spending a lot of time on that. Uh, That's probably my top place I'm spending time online these days. And uh, out taking a lot of pictures. We're doing a Death Valley trip, a Google Plus Death Valley trip this weekend. So 50 50 photographers, we're all headed out to Death Valley. And um gonna have a great weekend down there and um going shoot to shoot ruins in Detroit and visit with Ford Motor Company up there in January and so lots of stuff going on. Wow, that's awesome. Now are you still on that pilgrimage to hit a certain number of photos like in your lifetime or in how Oh that yeah. Going? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I wanna I wanna publish a million photographs before I die. And so I, you know, I'm doing pretty well. You know, my right now I'm trying to uh process at least three hundred and fifty Photographs a week. I'm always. I'm also trying to uh, shoot the hundred largest American cities. So I uh, last month I was in St. Louis, and earlier this year I was in. Um, geez, I've kind of been all over the place. Uh, I've been in Boston. I've been in uh, Miami. I've been in Austin. I've been in Houston. I've been in uh, Detroit. Jeez. I'm sure I'm forgetting some places, but yeah, you just run some around mileage shoot. not only on yourself but on that shutter button. Are you? Oh, oh for sure, for sure. I yeah, just Thomas, my... what if what if you live a lot longer than a million pictures? Do you think you might go for for two million? Uh, hey, you never know, right? By the by, the time I get that old, we'll all be living to 120, huh? There you go. Well, that voice you heard was Mr. Steve Simon. Steve, what have what have you been up to? You kind of you're a submarine. I always always call you the submarine on Twip. You're like periscope down, and then you go stealth, and then the periscope comes back up somewhere. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Where no, have I you been? Uh, I've been I've been staying uh, fairly close to home lately. I was I was traveling a lot earlier. Can't remember where I was, but uh, no, I'm I'm back in New York, and I'm uh, basically uh, just uh, kind of working on getting my blog going before Christmas. I've been promising this for years. Mm-hmm. I still don't have a blog. I wanted to to support uh, my, my new book, The Passionate Photographer, which uh, is just out now. And congratulations uh, on that book, by the thank way. Thank you very much. And that's that's what I'm working on. I want to get it up uh, before uh, Christmas. Is my goal. All right, get it done. You know, if you just start a blogger account or something, you could have it up tonight. 
you'd be done. <laughs> yeah, that would be too easy, way too easy. And I got to learn a lot more about Google Plus because uh, I know Thomas is obviously very high on it. And uh, you might like want to just place. forego a blog and just make a Google Plus page and just use that as your your blog. You know, that might be the strategy. I'm going to definitely look into it. Yeah, we'll be talking about Google Plus a whole lot in this episode, so we'll we'll save that. Also on the show is Mr. Martin Bailey coming us coming to us from Japan. Hey, Martin, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Frederick. And it's it's really nice to meet Steve and Thomas as well. So I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into today. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a, gonna be a great show. I've been following you. You know, I, I've I've recently dipped my toe back into 500 Picks as a, as a site for sharing photos on, and I've been you're one of the people that I'm following, and I noticed you've been posting a lot on there. There's a one shot on there that I favorited a minute ago. Um, that you did of I think it was was it in Harajuku in in Japan of a zeppelin kind of flying overhead? Oh yeah, that was um, that was Ginza. Ginza, the, uh, oh the expensive yeah. district that I can't afford to go into. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, if if you look on the right side, we've got Cartier. If you look on the left, there's Bulgari, and there's you know there, there's a lot of it, it's really the the brand shop area where where all of the money is in Tokyo. So, but I, I was there last weekend to see i went to see a friend um who had a, a an exhibition in in the canon gallery at ginza last week so i uh i just happened to have my 5d and 14 millimeter with me nice uh, so, yeah when are, when are your two uh new cameras scheduled to show up <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think it's march um march 2012 as as long as uh, as long as we don't get flooded or and anything else uh, gets in the way again. No, you know, remind us we... what what are those cameras and why did you buy two, Martin? <laughs> well, the... just because you're you're just filthy rich and you needed you needed like twelve grand worth of cameras, right? <laughs> the, the decision to buy two will will be finalized depending on how much I can get for my current bodies. But I, it's the one DX and. Uh, you know, I've got I've got two on order, but the the shop knows that I might only buy one of them. And basically, <laughs> by the time what, what what happens is is I call this a, a shop in Tokyo when anything like that is announced, and I order them. And is I, it, would that be Yodabashi Camera? It's actually Map Camera. It's ah. a place just down the street from Yodabashi, and and they they're um, they they know me. You know, that I've bought a, a few dollars worth of stuff from them. And they, they basically, they're okay with me booking stuff, you know, and then not picking it up. I did the same with the 300mm 2.8 version 2. I, uh, I, I, as soon as I hear Canon announce something like that, that I know that I would use, I give them a call and, and order it. But then I don't always go through with the purchase. Uh, but <laughs> with the 1DX, what I'll be doing is I'll be buying one at least. Yeah. And... Yeah. Whether I get both of them that I've ordered will depend on how much they give me for my current 1D Mark IV and my 1DS Mark III. If they give me a, a decent amount for those two for those two bodies, then I might it, I yeah. might go for, yeah I might go I might even throw the one, the 5D Mark II in there as well and just just try to sort of and a, and a few kidneys just to you know make up the difference. But um, actually, I better keep one kidney. Yeah. Um, hey, but, hey, Martin, yeah. I I heard that uh, in Japan. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of the camera companies were were struggling a little, not just uh, from you know what happened with the earthquake at the uh, factories in Japan, but also, of course, uh, if they had a Thailand connection. But I heard that there yeah. were still kind of rolling blackouts going on um, even today uh, in in Tokyo. Is that true? 
No, they they stopped those a, a while back. They um, they did happen for a while to set, to conserve energy, especially during the hot months when everyone's depending on the air conditioning. Uh, but they they actually didn't have to. Um, you know, I mean, where we live, there we were scheduled to have them. You know, quite often, and it didn't happen once. Uh, so oh, the, I think, yeah, a lot of areas did get the blackouts. They, they scheduled them, and they had to go through with it. But um, I think a lot of it was really uh, just a precautionary thing. Um, yeah. And the the good thing is as well is that all of the trains ran a special um, timetable through the summer so that they could conserve energy as well. Um, mm. So it, they, they did a lot. The, the whole country sort of rallied around and and did a lot to to conserve energy. But that we're, I think, with it cooling down now, we're we're you know we're pretty much out of the out of that out of the woods. Um, of course, yeah. Of course, next year when with the with the Fukushima plant down and a couple of other plants being um, you know scaled down a little bit, that we are going to see problems. But we'll figure it out. It's you know the the, the Japanese are a, a resourceful bunch. So yeah. Well, well Thomas, Thomas, you're the you're the other cannon shooter on the show today. Are you? Do you have an order in for a one DX? And and are you planning on moving, yeah. or are you happy with where with the camera you're with? Yeah, no, I'm not. You know, I um, you know, frankly, I don't I don't need that speed. Uh, you know, that's I'm not shooting sports or or fashion or anything like that, and uh, it just seems like a, a very expensive camera. You know, and I I, I shoot with the five D Mark II, and you've been shooting with that camera forever, right? I, I mean, have, yeah, I have, and I you know I I'm I you know when they come out with the replacement for the five D Mark II, I will definitely the second I can get that get it, uh, but that's going to be priced I'm sure a lot cheaper. I mean that's the that that one D seems awfully expensive to me. Yeah. How many well, cameras that, have you gone the, through, Thomas? I mean, like you're you're shooting. Would you say three hundred and some odd cameras? Are you shooting to publish three hundred photos plus a week? Which means you're yeah. shooting thousands, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. No, I'm I'm trying to yeah uh, publish three fifty a week and process three fifty a week, uh, and I'm shooting thousands a week, right? Yeah, um, you know, I, you know, I I went through um, two uh, Canon five Ds and um, the old one and. One of them was dying, like uh, you know, right when it was time to get the 5D Mark II. And fortunately, I got a warranty from Mac, and they were really good about it, you know, uh, and re- completely repaired it and brought, sent it back to me like in perfect condition. So I still have that 5D. Uh, one I went through just completely, and then the second one I had, and then the 5D Mark II. It's it's been showing signs of wear lately. In fact, I just sent it in for servicing. Uh, to Canon and got it back this week. Um, they did a great job and really fast turnaround. That uh, CPS Platinum deal is—they're so good with the service on that thing. I'm just curious what uh, happens. What happens when a camera starts dying? I mean, like your cameras, I would imagine the LCD on the back just puts up a little image of a white flag. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm done. No, a lot of it—it's just. I mean, I don't know what it is inside, but it's like all of a sudden, uh, like you'll turn it on and like within 30 seconds it goes off. Yeah. It just shuts off. And so there's like little power things and stuff like that. And so, I don't know. I am very, very hard on the cameras, and I shoot them a lot. I mean, I'll go to a city for four or five days and just, you know, sleep four hours and shoot 20 and, and you know, just really, really put it through the test. And It's yeah. just uh, tired. It, it gives up, I guess, after a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, right? <laughs> so those, those, those shutters, I believe, are rated for what? 200,000, 300,000 um, shutter I actuation think- 
That's right. a good question. I think the five D Mark II is only a hundred thousand. Although I could be wrong on that, uh, but it, but mine have gone well over a hundred thousand. So yeah, I, I've heard stories of you know like the Toyota that did a million miles. I mean, there's stories of some cameras <laughs> that now that they can find out how many actuations are on it, will be up into the hundreds of thousands. And the thing that surprised me, guys, was that if you need to get the shutter mechanism replaced, it's surprisingly inexpensive compared to the price of the camera. I know with the Nikon professional ones, it's like 600 bucks, which kind of, you know, if I think of that as kind of a bit of an engine of the camera to a certain degree, I thought it might be, uh, it's, it's probably even worth doing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I just look at this stuff, like, I, I imagine Thomas being at the far right end of camera usage, you know, and there's the guy at home that's like the avid amateur photographer. He just got his new DSLR and he polishes it every night and carefully <laughs> places it in the bag. And then there's Thomas, you know, he has his camera. It's like a, it's a hammer. <laughs> You're just out there pounding nails all day. And when it wears out, you go get another one. <laughs> Yeah, I so, definitely go hard. I definitely go hard. Yeah. yeah. So, guys, the, that that's kind of what I was going to jump in with there about, you know, that when Thomas said, you know, he doesn't need the speed of uh, of the, the 1DX, that's exactly the thing um, with, you know, with my decisions to get these cameras. Because they, with me, I mean, they, I generally, I shoot wildlife where you want the fast shutter speed, but also I use the cameras in very harsh conditions in in rainforests or in you know very hot conditions very very cold conditions in wet conditions and so i i generally go for the for the one series just because of the robustness but mm. my yeah. probably the camera that i reach for most of the time for for my everyday shooting is the 5D Mark II and you know so it's it, it really i have those cameras for the extreme conditions and for the times when i need the speed but I, I don't reach for them all the time. And so if you don't, if, like Thomas said, if you don't need that extra bit of speed, and, and in my case, you know, if you don't need the weatherproofing and all of that, then the 5Ds are still, an, they're an amazing lineup. You know, having that level of camera, that's, that, they're just such an, ama an amazing machine. So yeah. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that everybody needs to think about running off and trying to, to you know, sell a, sell a kidney to buy the one DX because it's it's definitely not necessary for everybody. Yeah, you know, I just switch it to Nikon a little bit. You know, Steve, I know you're the other Nikon shooter on the show, and I have my Nikon D seven thousand, and I got to say, you know, I have a Nikon D seven thousand, and I have a I shoot with a D seven hundred and a D three, but honestly, those two cameras have not left my little equipment room <laughs> since I got the D7000. I got to tell you, you know, I yeah. mean, even if it's even since even it being a crop sensor DX camera, it's just awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it does everything I need it to uh, do. And it's I, cheap, I do, you know. I, yeah, I agree with you, Fred. I mean, you know, when the D7000 is kind of the next iteration of what's to come with Nikon, I know we've been waiting a long time and probably have been set back, I guess, with all that's happened in the world in terms of uh, uh, the manufacture of these cameras. But the D7000 has got sort of the next level X-Speed chip. It's got, it's, it's, it's got more megapixels than any other Nikon except the D3X, which you know, is a $7,000 full-frame camera. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the crop sensor is it's not supposed to give you the same level of high ISO quality that 
a full-frame sensor does. But in my experience, using the D7000 and probably you too, Fred, comparing it to the D700, it's really, really close. And it's it's got more megapixels packed into a much smaller area. So it begs the, the question as to when you know, Nikon's next generation comes out, what's that going to be like? Yeah. I mean, the new Canon goes up to 200,000 ISO in the boost mode. Um, it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's it's, and I'll tell you, I just came back from this trip. I went to a uh, a Mark Dom workshop down in Long Beach, California, and I purposely left the D3 and the D700 at home, and all I brought was the D7000 with me to shoot. It was a glamour workshop, so just to shoot all these glamour models and all this stuff. And plus, I did eight interviews on an HD video with the camera. And it held up and, and covered everything. And then on top of that, not that I did this on purpose, but I forgot to bring, I forgot to bring my battery charger. So I did <laughs> the whole weekend with one battery. I mean, shooting all these all these interviews in HD, shooting. I think we did six model shoots, full model shoots, wow. with one battery. And it, yeah. you know, by the end of it, it was it was you know crying uncle, but. It held up through the whole thing, you know, until I got home. So it was amazing. Yeah. And the Don't battery, battery, battery life on these cameras, I know with the 5D Mark II as well, compared to the old 5D, it's just like night and day. I mean, the battery technology's gotten so much better. It's yeah. incredible. It's, it's insane. I, was, I, thought, I would thought something was wrong because I'm like, wait a minute. I'm still shooting? Really? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I think, you know, just listening to you guys, the takeaway is, I mean, you really – you know, you don't always need to have the most expensive, fastest camera. I mean, as you go up the line, both Nikon and Canon, you know, the cameras, you know, the buffer gets bigger, the frame rate gets faster. But, you know, as Thomas mentioned, he doesn't need, you know, 10 frames per second, although it would probably help you get to that million frame thing. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you really don't use it, but, you know, Martin does, you know, when he's doing his wildlife stuff. And it depends really on the job. But, you know, the, the one takeaway, I think, for viewers that I wanted to say, because I hear this at, from time to time, and I'm going on this great trip, but I don't want to take my good camera because <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid something's going to happen to it. And, you know, basically, they're tools. So I always say, you know, just make sure it's insured. You know, expect the worst to happen. But, you know, that's what it's for. It, it is a tool, ultimately. Yes. And it probably won't be your last camera. The lenses are going to endure forever, but cameras are now becoming interchangeable yeah i'd say definitely like look at thomas's photo stream on whatever site like thomas where, where you post most of your stuff is it 500 pics or man google plus now google so, yeah, plus that's, yeah that's so follow opinion. thomas on google plus look at his stuff and that's a photographer that's out there that's like i don't give a crap about the camera it's all about the image right so you're shooting 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 the camera dies you're going to toss it into the trash and go get another one right? yeah well Maybe not to the trash, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, to eBay, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, no, actually, you know, by the way, I looked up the 5D Mark II. It's 150,000 actuations, so... Ah, <laughs> there you go. All right, guys, let's uh, let's jump into some news real quick. We are... There's, there's a couple of stories that I definitely want to get all of your opinions on. The first one up is basically centered around camera manufacturers, Olympus, Canon, and RED... Um, first off, let's tackle Olympus. So Olympus has admitted to accusations of hiding decades of losses. So basically, for those who don't understand that sentence, they were saying that they were making X amount of dollars a year and they were really making N dollars a year. So uh, Steve, I want to throw it to you first. Is Olympus 
is are they gone? I mean, is it is we can we count them out as yeah. as competitors in the camera <laughs> well, manufacturing you know, I, space? I just I know my wife is actually at Occupy Wall Street as we speak. I don't know exactly what she's doing. I hope she doesn't get arrested. But I mean, there are two things happening here. This is obviously a business story, but Olympus is is an amazing company. If you look at it from an engineering point of view, I mean, I recall, you know, when the OM1 came out, it was just this revolutionarily small system that was just different from everything else and they've always kind of had that attitude when it comes to the equipment so to see this kind of a business story jeopardize you know all the great work that the engineers have have been doing and, and when you look at companies you know especially the japanese companies there's a a lineage there there's a you know everything is cumulative so you know that same company yeah, but, but engineering on the back end see that's like saying yeah, the engineers on the Titanic, they did such a great job, and the engine was flawless, and they ran such a tight ship, but in the well, end... you know, I'm just <laughs> saying that, you know, you can't, you can't stop, you know, they're doing some great things, so there's value in that, and it's, it's just, you know, in a sense, I, 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 it's not going to fail from, from that standpoint. Something's got to happen with that, you know, sort of cumulative uh, knowledge uh, from the equipment, so I... I, I I don't know. I don't know what, very much about business. It's just kind of sad. It's another one of these sort of um, stories that are all too familiar. I think it's it's not just uh, a fact that they were fudging the books, but they were skimming money. I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And someone was getting. Hey, hey Steve, um, I'm going to hang up on you because you, we get some, <laughs> we're getting some static from you, and I know the listeners are like grating their teeth. So I'm going to hang up and, and call you back, and okay. but we're going to continue this conversation while I'm doing that, right? So, uh, so Steve, just stand by. I'll call you right back. So I want to throw it to you, Martin, next. You are in Japan. Olympus is a Japanese company. What does this mean internally when this kind of stuff comes out? I kind of, like, the stereotypical, like, American perception would be like, oh, they're, they, the company has lost face and it must kill itself now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal? What, what do you think the deal is inside of Olympus today? I, I think I mean I've seen it. It's been it's been on the news a lot. You know they they've had the the new head who who took over just a few weeks ago and didn't know anything about this. He's been up there apologizing, bowing down deeply, and and so it's you know it's obviously it's, it's big news here too. But I, I think that I, I think they'll bounce back. I think that they've got two bigger um, you know their, their endoscope endoscopes and you know endoscopy equipment is uh, is incredibly. Um, successful and they yep. I think that they've they've got a, a big steep hill to climb to get back out of this are you saying um, they, but, they, they need to write off the DSLR or the the camera market and go for the the pro market or the I, like the medical market or whatever I, I think we could probably see them keeping every, you know I think that they'll keep hold of everything um, and obviously this is just me speculating but I think that they'll they'll struggle along and they'll get back out of it. Um, but the, the, a few things that could happen is that you know that I, I, if they are delisted or you know if they get taken off of the Tokyo Stock Exchange, then that's going to be a big blow to them. They're, I think that they'll they'll possibly either be be bought by a larger company or I mean. It wouldn't surprise me if if someone like Canon or Nikon didn't try to to grab them while while they're as as low you know while the stock's as low as this. But if they get delisted, then I think that they'll they'll maybe they'll be broken up into a few areas. But then again, I mean, I, I can't imagine 
and one of the larger camera companies wanting their lineup. It's and yeah. and and if you're if you're an Ollie user, then you know, forgive me for saying this, but I I don't think that they've got anything um, particularly that the larger companies would want to add to their lineup. So yeah, it's I, I'll have know, to agree it's with possible. That. Yeah, it's possible that they could they could disband a few of the things that they've they've got going and and just concentrate on on the more successful areas. Now, uh, Thomas, I'll throw it to you. What, what, where do you fall on this? I mean, is should we just count Olympus out of the game at this point, or can they recover? Well, Frederick, I got to tell you, I knew there was a problem about this from a while back because you know, not a lot of people knew this, but Bernie Madoff was a huge Olympus shooter. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Of course, that's great. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm a Canon shooter, and, you know, Canon and Nikon are the two big names in my book. You know, obviously, there are other cameras out there besides that, but the Olympus brand certainly is a uh, valuable brand. And, you know, even if the company goes down and ends up declaring bankruptcy and all that, uh, you know, the brand's going to be worth something to somebody. So I suspect the Olympus brand carries on, and the engineering and the cameras continue on. You know, you may have a brief interruption there, but uh, there is value in the brand. And even if the company goes out of business, they'll still be able to sell that brand off. So I, I think Olympus is here to stay. Yeah, here to stay, but but competitive. I mean, like we like right now. It's, for me as a consumer, it feels like Canon and Nikon. It's like Canon and Nikon and Sony. You know, because Sony's coming on strong. So Canon, yeah. Nikon, and Sony, and then else or other right? right i mean and now that this one of the others has a crutch it seems like it's like even worse for them i don't know but you yeah. know sometimes like in the in the photo world uh you know in our world that may be true but in the big picture you'd probably have to look at the numbers and just see how they're doing because uh you know the market is not always kind of where we're at uh you know just the yeah. mass market uh, is a different kind of an animal and they don't necessarily have that same kind of allegiance uh to the brand the way the way we do yeah 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 i mean and i mean there are people that um you know sort of swear by these micro for third cameras i mean that they just think that these are the best things in the world and mm-hmm. uh, you know and the pen system and all that and you know i don't know it's not for me but there are people that are really into that and olympus probably does there probably is a space in the camera universe for those sorts of buyers and for olympus to to do business yeah I don't know. You know, it's interesting. Maybe Olympus should consider making Android phones or something. <laughs> Get into that market. All right. The other piece of this hardware story is Canon. So Canon announced the C300, and then on the heels of that, um, or was it was it vice versa? But basically, Canon and Red announced these two cameras, right? So Canon came out with the C300. Um, so Thomas, I want to throw it to you. Are you familiar with this particular camera? And what you know, you- I am, and it's way too expensive, in my opinion. What is it for the folks that like what C three? What what is it? Well, the C three hundred. I mean, it's basically uh, you know, it's an upgrade from you know. There's a lot of press like when they film that uh, episode of House with the five D Mark two and yeah. sort of this smaller format camera that could do you know really you know pretty decent uh, filmmaking. And so with the new C300, I think it's, you know, really targeted towards sort of, uh, you know, serious filmmakers. Um, And it's a very small format camera. It can take EF lenses. So if you want to do some really cool things, um, like with the 50 millimeter or the 85 millimeter F1.2 lens, you know, for the the standard, you know, L-series DSLR lens, you can put it right on there and 
you know, do some great things with depth of field and do, you know, some interesting things. And, you know, I just think $20,000 is, is too much. I think it's, it's too high. And they're coming out with some specialty lenses as well, but those are also incredibly expensive. Those are also going to be incredibly expensive, these new lenses they're coming out with. So I just think it's a little bit out of reach, but I don't know. What's, what's, what's out of reach? What's the price tag? The price. Well, the price is like $20,000 for one of these things. So that's I mean, that's a lot of money, and even if they move the decimal point one to the left, it's still too expensive for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a lot. I mean, but I mean, this is I guess this camera is for sort of this sort of semi-serious, uh, you know, filmmaker. But yeah, you know, and I suppose you know it's an upgrade from what you could do with the five D Mark II. Uh, you know, and there've been a lot of news stories about people doing very interesting and creative things from a video standpoint with that, including that, like I mentioned, that story about them making that episode of House. Yep. So, you know, I think this is, they're, they're kind of pushing in that direction, and, and this is a, a, a better camera to do video with, and um, uh, it's really more designed as a video camera, less like the, the 5D Mark II, which is kind of, you know, more of a, a DSLR with a video component. Right, right. Then a, then a couple hours later, so so Canon announced the C300, right, and it slapped a $20,000 price tag on it. Then a few hours later, our friends over at RED announced their latest camera, the Scarlett, available in mid-November for... $9,750. So, so was this like, I don't know, like, I don't know who on the show, like which one of you guys knows about like red, but was this strategic, right? Do you think red knew that Canon was going to do this? And you're like, okay, let's wait for it. Wait for it. Okay. Hit send on the press release. You know, was it like that or just serendipitous? I would, I would say that there's, there's no doubt that that was how it went. Um, but the the thing that you need to keep in mind as well, though, is is that to use the Scarlet, you've still got to. I mean, the the cost, the twenty thousand for the for the C three hundred is for a, a complete package uh, where you've got everything apart from the lenses. Um, but the, with the Scarlet, that's just for the box, and you you it's going to cost you another five thousand dollars or so to buy the things to add onto it. Right. Uh, other other than a lens, so. I, I would say that the I agree that the Canon the C three hundred is too expensive, and I, I think that it probably around fourteen fifteen thousand would have looked better. I mean, that's still a lot more expensive than people want to pay. I know, but yeah, probably. I, I probably. That, mm. Go ahead, go ahead, Martin. I, I was just going to I'm just going to round that off and just say you know that when you consider that you do need another five thousand dollars or so to make the Scarlet usable. I would say that if that had been in line that way, it might have seemed a little bit better. I mean, when you look at it as being double, it certainly seems like too much. But yeah, no, it kind of looks like you're like with Canon, you're buying into. Hey, Canon understands mechanics of photography and videography, and they proved it with 5D and all the stuff. And you know, I'm buying into that. And then on the Scarlet side, from my perspective, it looks like you're you're betting on the future. You're like, okay, I, I think this is going to be what where cameras are going in the future, and and I have a I have some money in the bank, and I'm gonna I'm gonna build a system around this. Uh, what were you gonna say, Steve? Yeah, I was just gonna say the Canon's probably not too expensive for some of the heavy hitters that were at that press conference when they introduced this. I mean, they had Marty Scorsese uh, mm. there. And that was pretty. Phenomenal. You're allowed to call him Marty, not Martin. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I wow. can say that because I'm in New York City. Oh, okay. But uh, no, they they had some serious people, and I think they have a contest now that, that Ron Howard is participating in. 
So they're obviously, uh, you know, we're pulling no punches with the introduction of this thing. And I think uh, the red people certainly saw this as a bit of an opportunity because if there are sort of serious amateur digital filmmakers out there looking to sort of get to the next step with their 5D Mark II, 20,000, yeah, certainly is probably without, out of reach. Maybe they could think about uh, $10,000. But, you know, as, as Martin says, it's just at the beginning, you know, it's the, the tip of the iceberg, as they say. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I would say that, you know, that like, like you say, Steve, that this is, uh, we're talking about this as like a, an upgrade from the, the lower-end DSLRs that can shoot videos. But when you consider the price compared to what it used to cost to make video of that quality, I mean, it's a 4K camera, so it's, you know, these things are, they're shooting beautiful video, and it's a lot cheaper now than it ever was. So, you know, it's, with the people that are, I, I, I was looking at the Scarlet Forum, and someone was talking about this, saying, you know, oh, it's, it's the, 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 the Scarlet is really ugly and all of that. But they, they were, um, they basically got into the fact that people that are, are using these in these, in, for, for movies, they really don't, they, you know, even the Scarlet, none of this is all that expensive to them compared to what they used to have to pay to get that quality of video. So people aren't really making, the people that are buying these for, for movies and stuff like that aren't making the decisions based on the price of the camera. They're making it ba based on the spec of the camera. Yeah. And so Canon are probably very confident with, you know, the, their 4K image quality. They've got everything in one package it's got you know pretty much everything that you need to get started in one package and i'm i'm you know i mean to us it seems expensive but i think that they they've probably got it about right when you consider what's included in the package uh so you know it's when when you consider it in perspective it's probably not that bad yeah yeah i just love where the industry is going i mean it's there's all these cool new tools that are that are being introduced in response to what the what the market needs you know it's it's amazing we're just getting all these we're getting more and more powerful tools to make better and better images and videos and all this stuff so in the end consumers win so it's amazing all right speaking of consumers winning google has launched Google Plus for business pages and they announced a photography contest for students. So let's 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 tackle the the business page piece first. So I think that's gigantic. And Thomas, you're on the show. Um you're a you got both feet into the pool in the Google Plus area. You know, what what do you think of the Google Pages thing? Did they do it right or are there still rough edges to file off? Uh, you know, I think they did do it right. Uh, I mean, from what I've underst understood, a lot of people have set up Google Pages now. Um, they don't have a lot of followers yet, and that takes time. You know, I looked at Taco Bell the other day, and they had 69 followers, you know. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. How do you follow them? I set up three pages, but I don't know how to, f I don't know how to tell people to follow me on my Twip page or on my Frederick Van page. Like, I don't, I, I don't understand how that works. Well, you can link to it. You can link to it. They don't have sort of vanity URLs yet on Google Plus, which is kind of a drag because your, your, your URL isn't that fr friendly. You know, you can't say, you know, you know, Thomas Hawk, Twitter slash Thomas Hawk or yeah. something like that. You know, you got to say, you know, a bunch of numbers and it doesn't make sense. So I think it's harder to promote that way per se, but I, that may be coming in time. I, you know, I think the thing with uh, pages, with brands is that Google didn't allow them on the site right away and they took a lot of heat for that because there were a lot of people you know like TechCrunch and, and other big brands that wanted to get on there and 
um, they had to wait. Yeah. And Google kind of wanted to do it right, and they're they're not allowing brands to do promotions or sweepstakes, you know, stuff like that. Which you know, a lot of ways these brands get their their users is they'll say, well, you know, follow us on Google Plus, and you enter this contest or whatever. And so they, that's how they get a lot of their users, like on places like Facebook and other places like that. And you know, I think you got to be careful because when you have brands, sometimes it almost becomes, you know, too spammy, sort right. of. And you know, you've got all these people marketing at you and advertising to you. And um, you know, I think that for me, at least, the way that I, I use Google Plus, it's much more, much less of a commercial experience and much more of a sort of authentic community experience. And I actually like the fact that Google kind of let that community side of things flourish and build up first before, you know, bringing in all the commercialism. And so, time is on this. So just just dive in a little bit deeper into how you're using Google Plus. Is has Google Plus replaced Flickr for you? You know, or or and and describe that flow. Like what's your what's your day to day interaction with, with Flickr slash Google Plus or other sites like five hundred picks? Sure. Well, you know, I don't know that I've ever been as excited about a site as I am Google Plus, uh, and 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 that's big. Um, <clears throat> you know, I I was on Flickr way early back in '04 before Yahoo bought them and all that, and was a huge evangelist for Flickr and loved that and spent hours and hours and hours on there. Um, you know, I wrote a post, a blog post, a little while back. Uh, you know, that said Flickr is dead and. And, you know, for me, I think the, the soul of online photo sharing, and that's something I've been deeply, deeply involved with, has completely moved to Google+, and it's completely thriving and flourishing there. Uh, we did a photo walk down at Stanford with Google+, uh, Google Plus with, with Trey Radcliffe came to town. Yeah. And, you know, and then there were 200 people showed up at that photo walk. It was just crazy. Wow. Uh, we did, did one at UC Berkeley. We did one in Austin with Dell and Google+. Plus. At ACL this year, uh, you but know, I mean, have, part of that is because both of you, like just you and Trey, I know others were involved, but you and Trey have gigantic online followings, so you can you can generate two hundred people coming to an event just to hang out with you. Like, what about the normal Joe? Yeah, I think it's more than that though, because it's it's there's this interaction that's going on there, this excitement on the site. That photographers, even photographers that are not big photographers, you know, people that I'm that I'm meeting for the first time, and I'm saying, "Wow, you know, this 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 person is really doing some awesome stuff," and and they're immediately gaining traction on Google Plus, and they're getting thousands of followers in some cases, and they're getting you know a ton of exposure. The engagement there, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, oh. it blows Flickr away, it blows 500px away. It, uh, you know, I just it, it clearly, I think, right now is the place to be online for photographers. I, I don't think there's any other site, and I think it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And Google's got huge plans for it. And you know, I was in on day one with both feet, the first day I could get on, and I've not, and I spent hours on it every day. So. That's huge. Thomas, I mean, that's um, a statement. You're saying, just to just to reiterate what you just said, like Google Plus is the place to be today for photographers that are sharing images online, right? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, Thomas. So you know, I'm just gotta. I I signed up, but I haven't figured it out yet. And I guess you know, even Fred, smart as he is, hasn't figured out everything in terms of the the business pages. But um, what is the the sort of short course in getting involved and maximizing uh, your presence on Google+. You sign up, and, and how do you add to your circles, or how do you get people to follow you, that kind of thing? 
Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things you can do. And, and I wrote an article on my blog uh, called, I think, 10 Tips uh, for Google Plus or something like that. Okay, and, we'll link to that. Definitely. <clears throat> yeah. You know, the, the, you know, talks about, well, you know, what can you do to sort of promote yourself on Google Plus and promote your work and your photography and your brand and all that. And, you know, I think some of it is um, pretty simple. It's just, you know, based, like any social network, just basic reciprocation. So if you just if you just think, well, okay, I'll just set up a stream there and everybody will come flock to it, I think you're going to be mistaken. And if you look at what guys like Trey or Colby Brown or Lotus Carroll or some of these top people are doing on the site, uh, you know, they're going out and they're interacting. They're part of the community. They're, they're plus wanting other people's photos. They're commenting on other people's photos. Um, you know, I think the other thing that I'm seeing there is people are sharing their best work there. Yeah. So Flickr sort of turned into kind of a dumping ground and, you know, Facebook's where you throw your party pics and, yep. uh, you know, but there's, there's seriously amazing photography that blows you away. I see that um, as a trend though. Cause I see that on 500 pics as well. It's just like, like on Flickr, you're absolutely right. I mean, like it, when I, when I first started using Flickr years ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to dump everything I have up there and hopefully somebody will like one of them. Almost like, like panning for gold on Flickr. And then on 500 picks, it's like, okay, I need to fine-tune this image to be the best it can possibly be, and then I'll post it. And now it's the same thing for Google+, right? Same, same thing for Google+. People are posting their best images. Google's got a nice, big, oversized thumbnail. You click on it. It's got the best light box on any site out there, big black light box. Um, and people are putting their best work. The other thing I think that's going on, though, is the community. It's this interaction, and there are these things like Hangouts where you're online with 10 other people, and all of a sudden, whereas Flickr, maybe you commented on somebody's posts, and they commented back on yours, and maybe you're in a group together, and maybe even that someday you meet in real life. You know, On Google+, Plus, you're, you're jumping right into Hangouts with people that you've never met, great photographers all over the world. You've got one person in New York, one person in France, you know, one person in Italy, one person in Mexico, uh, three people in California, and you're having a conversation um, face-to-face on video talking, and you're having these detailed, meaty conversations about photography. And yeah. I think that creates a bond, like a social bond. And in part, that's why things like you know, 50 of us are flocking to Death Valley next weekend. Yeah. I mean, we sold out the Atomic Inn Motel in Beatty and just about the El Portal, and we're all kind of descending on there. Everybody's from Google+, Plus, and we've all become sort of friends through the thing. And That's I think wonderful. for photographers, yeah, I mean, it's a, if you want to be social with your photography and you want to learn from other photographers and you want to be part of something that's, you know, really exciting and community and you want to put that time in to interact with a community, that's what it's the best thing for. Now, Martin, you're you're also very active on Google+, right? What how are you using it? Like Tom, if Thomas is both feed in, I would I would describe you as both feed in as well. So how how does it fit into your photography world? I, I'd say I'm both feet. Um, it's certainly um, you know I, I've got a, like a a certain amount of time uh, that I will put into social networking and, and this sort of thing each day, and it's nowhere near as much as Thomas or or a lot of people like Trey. You know that I I just don't find that I, I'm able to prioritize um, that much time to, to do it. And it's not because I'm too busy doing all the, lots of other fancy stuff. It's just because I personally don't, you know, I don't feel comfortable giving it that much time. But yeah. 
of the amount of time that I am putting into this this sort of you know the social networking aspect, it's certainly now Google is the is the main one. I'll go to Twitter still, and I'll maybe I'll maybe go to Twitter a half you know fifty percent of what I would do um, for a hundred percent of of Google. I'll be in Google twice as much as Twitter. Yeah. Um, but because I've only got this this finite sort of amount of time that I mentally can, can uh, you know, assign to this sort of things. I'm, I'm now hardly ever in Facebook and I'm in Flickr like, I don't know, three minutes a month. Um, and that's just to upload photographs. So it's like, it, it's taken away the, the time that I used to assign to other sites and, and it's now pretty much all focused on Google, Google Plus with a, a little bit still on Twitter. So I'm I'm definitely in both feet, but nowhere near as deep as as Thomas is. Yeah, like, no, Thomas. Just to put a really sharp point on it, should I should I stop using Flickr? Should I stop using from a, if I have my photographer hat on? Should I stop using Flickr? Should I stop using Facebook and focus all my engines on on Google Plus and 500 Picks? Well, no, I don't think you should stop using anything. I mean, and for me, I still have a Flickr stream. I still upload stuff there every day. Um, you know, Flickr's got some things going for it. They've got uh, better album management, you know, sets and, and collections than I think Google Plus does. Um, they, you know, they've got the Getty deal. So I get, you know, basically I get paid to be on Flickr because I get money from Getty every right, month. Right, right. Uh, you know, so there's some positive things about Flickr, but you know, for me, it's, you know, where do I spend my social time? And it's one thing just to upload some photos to Flickr and just kind of ignore them. Uh, and versus, you know, being socially active on, on uh, Google plus. And, you know, even just looking at, you know, at the stuff that, you know, Martin throws up there, and I'm sure he'll agree with this, the engagement that he'll get on his images there versus other places. And, you know, I just looked, he's got, you know, 22,000 followers, you know, right. and, you, and, you know, in my own case, uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of followers on Twitter and, and Flickr and, uh, you can you know, say the number. It's like one bazillion, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is what's so crazy. I mean, I've got like, you know, 20 some thousand followers on Flickr and Twitter and this. And, you know, I've got, you know, 327,000 on Google Plus. So, I mean, it's just like by a magnitude of 10. Wait a minute. 320,000? Yeah. Yeah. But by, it's by, a, by a magnitude of times 10. And that is just the excitement around this site. And, um, you know, I think that, and I think a lot of people are finding that. I think Martin would also tell you. I don't know how many Twitter followers he has, but I would, and I'm sure he's been on Twitter longer than he's been on Google Plus. But I'm sure his Google Plus number—I mean, I'm just guessing—is is much larger because yeah, it, people, it is. Yeah, people so, are. Yeah. Oh, sorry, someone. Go, go, go ahead, Martin. No, go ahead. Uh, that was another thing that I was going to say. You know, it's like I—I've been on Twitter, I think, for three, maybe four years. And I'm still under 6,000. I've got just under 6,000 uh, followers. And within the first, I think, 10 days on Google, I, I surpassed that. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, just been, it's just been crazy, you know. And, and this is really, although I've been active, it's, I haven't really been putting a, a lot of my time into it. So I can, uh, the potential is just huge. But I think that what it is is that I, I talk with people over the years, I've you know I've, I've spoken with people and said, yeah, I'll, I do Twitter and you know this. And people, a lot of the time, people will say, well, oh, I just I just don't get Twitter. You know, I I don't. It doesn't click with a lot of people. And 
th those that it does click with, they get they jump in headfirst. They have a great time there, and I still enjoy. I mean, even the 140 character limit is liberating in some ways, and so I, I don't see me leaving Twitter at all. But I I think that people just don't. There are there's a, far more people just don't get Twitter, you know, you, and I just haven't heard that with Google. It seems so much more intuitive, and people are they're jumping in, they're finding you know they can type as much or as little as they like, as you know, as, as Thomas was saying earlier, the the photographs look great on there. Whatever you link, if you link a video, it's you've got a nice big thumbnail in there, and everything just seems to just just works. And so people are finding it a much more easy environment to get along with. And because there's, there's so many people in there, the, the photography community is, is really flourishing. And so it's, it's refreshing to get in there. I mean, it's like, like Thomas said, I mean, you throw a photo up there and you'll get, I mean, some more than others, but one was featured um, a few, I think, last week. And I, I got like uh, eight, eighty something plus ones in just just a few hours, and it, yeah. it's great to know that people are actually looking. You know, and obviously I'm 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 fine with if people someone doesn't like the work, and then I'm fine with them, with them telling me that as well. But it, it's always nice to to know that you're reaching people with your work, and and if you're going to put time in, you know, we've all only got a certain amount of time that we can assign to this sort of stuff. So if you're going to assign that time to anything, you want to go where you get the biggest number of eyes you know the larger larger number of people looking at your work and interacting with you and that of course helps it to, to propagate everything out you, you get to know more people you, it just it just seems a much more lively environment yeah well it so is, my, it my, is. The, yeah. thomas i was going to say so playing devil's advocate here it's uh, you know, Google is awesome, right? And I applaud them on the changes they've been making to the UI. I'm, I've been using Google apps more and more, and my mail is awesome now, um, and I'm loving it. But what I can't help but thinking about Google Plus is, though it's awesome and it's got all this traction, I keep feeling like there's a little bit of Google waveness in there. You know, so if does are we going to see Google plus go the way of Google wave? You know, they just like pull the rug out from under us. They like, they hyped it and it was this great thing. And then poof, it was gone. You know, are we going to see that? No, we will not. Uh, we, this, 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 uh, well, a couple things. First of all, Google plus is the entire company is bought off on it. It's not Google plus as a product at Google. It is Google plus is Google. Every unit at Google, every area of Google, it's Larry Page's baby, the CEO from the top down. Uh, I mean, this is kind of crazy, but I'm like just like hanging out in my basement one one night, and and Sergey Brin pops up, and we do a hangout, and so here I am talking to Sergey Brin one on one for a half an hour about photography. I mean, the top people at Google are want this to succeed. This is their baby, Sergey and Larry and these people. And it's pervasive in the entire organization. It's, you know, everybody at Google is focused on Google Plus and Plus One. And, uh, you know, this is kind of, I think this is their moment. They, Facebook is a competitor. Facebook is a walled garden. They need access to all of this social data. And they've got some big tools. I mean, they put it on, they put a, an arrow I mean, it's the fastest growing social network ever. I think they're up to the latest announcement was 40 million users in a very short amount of time. Uh, but they put an arrow on the Google homepage just pointing to it, and they signed up you know, some crazy amount, like 8 million people that day. Uh, so I mean, you guys they, are 
totally convincing me that I need to be on Google. It's just <laughs> one more thing I've got to add to my list, but I mean, it, it can't be that hard the way you describe it. It shouldn't well, be that difficult. Well, one, one other reason why you want to be on it uh, is that obviously Google owns search. I mean, they own search. And so if you care at all about SEO, if you're a photographer and you want to sell stock images, you want people to buy your prints, you care about that sort of stuff, you know, there by building up credibility on Google Plus, by building up followers, by building up a reputation, when you plus one things, not not even on Google Plus on the web, like your own website or like photos that you're selling, those are going to get better juice. Those are going to get better SEO placement. Right. And if you if you as a photo, as a photographer, if the, if this is a business for you, especially if you care about hey, I want people to type in my name or my or image of the Eiffel Tower and I want them to see my picture and all these things, you have to be on Google+. Yeah, so, so, And I think a lot of people don't realize that yet. And when they do realize it, it'll be the, those of us that got on board early uh, that benefit the most because we've all had a, a leg up on everybody else in building an audience there. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Google Plus is uh, definitely merits. If you haven't tried it out, folks, it definitely, if you're a photographer, which means you're listening to this show, you should definitely jump in there and poke around and uh, follow me on Google. Follow <laughs> <laughs> Frederick. That's right. Thomas is 300,000 people. He's got like half of the, <laughs> yeah, the entire continent of people following him. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's get Frederick up to 200,000, I say. Huh? You know, I, I'd be happy with like five people. Um, so, so the other piece of this story is um, Google has announced a photography contest for students. So basically, they um, so we'll link to the to the contest in the in the show notes. But the top one hundred winners will win a Galaxy Nexus phone. The top ten winners will have their work featured at at a Saatchi Gallery in London or Saatchi Gallery in London for two months, and they'll win a trip for two to London for the grand opening. And the grand prize winner will receive a trip anywhere in the world with a professional photography coach. I think that's pretty awesome. And it kind of, for me, you know, as like a, you know, I, I would position myself as an advanced amateur photographer because I don't make my money from photography exclusively. Um, so for me as a, as this guy, I'm looking at this as like, wow, Google is really putting the money where their mouth is in terms of supporting the photography community. I don't know, Martin, what do you, what do you think about this, Martin? Is it, uh, is Google, is Google in it to win it in the photography space? Yeah, I think that this just reinforces the, the commitment that Google has to photography. They've, they've obviously done a lot of things that are, that are really targeted towards the photographer and to make Google Plus the place for photographers to be. Um, and, and it's hardly surprising. When you look at Twitter, the, the photography community on Twitter is amazing. And, uh, and it's likewise, obviously, Flickr is, is all about photography. Mm-hmm. So it's obvious that photographers have got a lot of interest in communicating and socializing on the web. And so making Google Plus photography-centric to, in a lot of respects was a, was a big move for Google. And this just really reinforces that commitment. It, I think it's a great idea, and I'm I'm happy to see them showing, you know, like you say, putting the money where their mouth is, and really, really starting to push the photography aspect. Yeah, Thomas, how come how come folks like that have been leading in photography, like we'll just say like Yahoo and Adobe, for example, those are two companies that come to mind with Flickr and Photoshop and Lightroom and all that that are tech companies that have been 
in photographers' minds for years. How come we don't see them doing things like this? Well, I mean, I guess a couple things. First of all, just one quick clarification on that contest is you have to be a college student to enter it. So ah, okay. just in case, in case people out there are thinking, oh, I'm going to go for this. Uh, no, you've got to be a college student, which I, I think is actually good because I think it gives college students a, a better chance. But uh, anyways, why, why aren't uh, Flickr and Yahoo and Adobe and some of these other people doing this? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know that Adobe has ever really seriously focused on the social side of things. I mean, they make a wonderful software. I am, you know, uh, nobody's a bigger fan of Lightroom than I am. You know, I love it. I use it every day. Uh, I think it's great, but it's just not, I mean, they're not, they've never really had any sort of big web presence. Uh, I, you know, I mean, they do have a website and all that, but not, not like a major photo social network or anything. Um, Yahoo has one with Flickr and I mean, not to be harsh, I've been very critical of Flickr over the years. They've absolutely blown it. And, you know, I, I don't, I think part of it is that, uh, Yahoo just has not invested in, in, in Flickr. I mean, in their most recent round of round of layoffs, they laid off a bunch of people on the on the Flickr staff. Mm. Uh, in fact, they laid off twice the on a percentage basis twice the number of people at Flickr as other units at Yahoo. Um, but more than that, I just I don't think you know Yahoo has been sort of this dying animal, and you know they lost Stuart and Katarina who started Flickr years ago, and uh, you know they've just they've not innovated at all. I mean, what what has Flickr done? And I think Yahoo is just there's just not the spirit of innovation there, and there's also not the spirit of community. I mean, uh, by by community, I mean with the company, with the users. I mean, I I have never felt I felt Flickr's always been a, a, quite an adversarial place with their users and most passionate users. And you know, I was blacklisted from Explore for years and banned from the Help Forum for years. And yeah, we talked about that in a previous interview. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's only been actually in the last uh, you know month or so that they've unbanned me and unblacklisted me and that's after meeting with uh, some of their staff but um, you know I, Google's the opposite was Google when Google Plus showed up was it for you I mean you've been a a highly vocal opponent or detractor from from Flickr right over sure, the years sure. when right. Google Plus showed up was it like Yes. Was it? Oh, yeah. was, were you saying yes because Google Plus is that great, or were you saying yes because they were the not Flickr site? Well, I was saying I was saying yes because one because they well three three I'd say three primary reasons one because it is very very great and the the whole way the network is set up and the way the pictures are shown and they're shared and and I mean the, the facts speak for themselves. Everybody on Google Plus gets far more traction and interaction and engagement and followers and everything else than they do on Flickr. Uh, so, you know, certainly the product itself, yes. The second key element, though, is the staff. I mean, they're great. You know, I've, I've been down to Google a number of times. I've had lunch in their cafeteria. I, I know, you know, half the people on the photo team by name. You know, we've traveled together. They're just, they're very engaging with the community. They're part of it. You know, if somebody has a problem, they fix it. Uh, you know, they're in there in the threads, they're talking, they're engaging. And it's, it's like Google has empowered everybody in the company to be sort of a mini little evangelist for Google Plus. And they, you know, if everybody wants to get involved and everybody is helpful, which is very different than Yahoo. Um, but then the third reason why, you know, it's, and it's not, that, it's not that I want to see Flickr do badly or, you know, or that I have something personal against Flickr because I don't. I love Flickr, actually. Um, it's just I think competition is great, and I think Flickr has had no competition. 
Is it too late for Flickr? I mean, it, could they could they like turn the corner and just say, you know what? Okay, new management. Where we are, we are going to kill Google Plus and eat their lunch, and this is how we're going to do it. Is it? Does Google Plus have too much traction for that to happen? You know, I, yeah, I think so. At this point, I think they I think they missed their window. I think they had a window six months ago uh, to really turn it around. I mean, there's a lot of things Flickr needs to do. I mean, I could write a book about. You know, well, you know, they, they need to have better blocking tools for people that harass people on there. They need to have better ways to follow your threads and groups. And they need to have, uh, you know, their Explore page is archaic. And, I mean, one of their own designers, Timothy West, wrote an article uh, about what she called the most important page. Uh, she's not with Flickr anymore, but when she was, the most important page on Flickr being the Your Contacts Photos page. Yeah. And sort of how poorly designed that page was. And it is. It's terribly designed. And nobody's overhauled it for years and years and years. And... You know, I think Flickr at one point had an opportunity to innovate, an opportunity to do interesting stuff. And instead, what they've done, like their most recent round of innovations, they gave us kind of this, you know, half-baked little Android app. And they gave us this thing, this sort of really weird feature where, like, you could, two users could, like, chat with each other and look at a picture at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I compare that to, like, Google's Hangouts. Where, yeah, you can chat, you can talk, you can see each other on video, you can talk out loud, you can share not just Flickr pictures, you can share anything on the web, and, you know, it just blows that away, and here Flickr comes, you know. So, yeah, I think it's too late for them, I really do, and I, and I don't really see, I mean, there's no passion at Yahoo. Yahoo's like this dead company that Jerry Yang's trying to hold on to, that, you know, they fired Carol Bartz, and... She yeah. never got it. She never even had a Flickr account, you know? Wow. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's too late for Flickr. Well, but. Martin Martin Bailey, I want to throw it to you. So we're on this we're on this vein of photo sharing sites, right? So Google Plus is kind of I wouldn't say it's a photo sharing site, but it's a it's a social network, right? That that Google put out there. From a photo sharing site perspective, looking at Google Google Plus, looking at five hundred pixels, and you're looking at Flickr. What's the ideal set of features that photographers want today, like, or that you want today? What do you, what do you want in a photo sharing site? I I think Google's pretty much there. They um, they've. I, I'm not one for spending a lot of time commenting, you know, typing in comments on people's images. And I, although you know, I I do. If something moves me, then I'll I'll certainly comment. But I'm not one for doing hours and hours of that. But I, I like the fact that you can just hit that plus one button. And it's kind of like the like button in 500px. It's an instant way of saying, this is good, I like it. I don't particularly want to bother to type in love it and move on. Um, I mean, I never do that. It's, I'll always write at least a sentence as to why I like something if I'm going to take the time to comment. But just the fact that you can hit that button and show that you like something Give it a bit of respect and then move on to another something else is is great. Yeah. Um, but then with with Google Plus, I mean, if you're on if you're looking at a picture in the mainstream, you can comment right below it. If you click on it and you go into the light box, and as Thomas said earlier, that the light box is really really nice in Google Plus. But then the same comments are available on the right side there, and it doesn't matter where, you, where which which way you comment you're working on pretty much the same stream and it's it's all just intuitive it just works yeah um and so really i mean and the fact that you can from the same place you've got you build your circles you you have people it's like i've got a i've got a circle that i call photog friends i've got a, another circle for um you know for people that i've actually met and and 
you know, know personally. Mm-hmm. And I, I can select who I want to share with. I generally just share everything with, with photographers and public. I don't want to hide anything away, but it's, you can select really easily who you, who you want to work, you know, who you want to show, show stuff, who you want to interact with. And then the, the hangouts, you can, you can just start these hangouts, have people jump in and it's all, it's just all there. Um, I think that the the next thing, and, and I'm sure this is coming. I know that I know that they've already made some um, some headway in this area. Is we really need to get a solid way to share your screen, and hopefully embed your your video as well. So I mean, I've been using a few things that um, that people have told me about to try and embed, show my screen, embed my own my own webcam f- picture in there as well to, to use in Hangouts. And it works, but it's really computer intensive, even on a, a less than a year old MacBook Pro. And yeah. um, so, I, once they once they have the ability to share the, share your screens and embed your webcam, um, I don't think there'll be anything else that I particularly wish for. And of course, like Steve Jobs says, people don't know what they want until you until you give it them. So, yeah. I obviously there's going to be a lot of other stuff that the people over there think about. And givers that we just say, oh wow, this is amazing! I'm really pleased I'm here. But it's, um, I think that they're close and they're doing all of the right things to, to keep the photography community involved and growing. Yeah. Well, Steve Simon, so you're the, you know, I, I put you as the working pro. Martin, you're also a working pro. Thomas, you're out there shooting all the time. But Steve, you're traveling the globe, shooting assignments for clients and that sort of thing. Does Google Plus? Um, fit in to your workflow right now? I mean, I know after this conversation, you're going to go, if you, you're probably setting up an account now, but you know, does it like from a pro perspective and somebody that's dealing with a client that's paying you thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to shoot a job, does this factor in? Uh, you know, not, not really at all, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like most photographers today. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to diversify a little bit and, uh, you know, because I do a lot of teaching and because I, I really enjoy it, I want to raise my profile a little bit more, but you know, as much as I've been talking on this show, uh, over the years about even getting a blog going, which I have yet to do. And I kind of look at all this stuff and I kind of, it feels a little bit like the world is, is passing me by mainly because, I haven't made, a, made it a priority, and I haven't gotten involved to the extent that I would like to be involved. Yep. But I'm, I'm kind of understanding and, and listening to, uh, to you veterans uh, about this, that, that it, it can be a, a great opportunity on, on many different levels, you know, just personally, just in terms of as another photographer, just sharing ideas and work with everybody and learning from, from other people's comments, as well as, as even from a business standpoint. Certainly, you know, I've got this book out, I want to promote it and that kind of thing. Yep. So I, I really need to kind of prioritize a little bit. But I think from a, a working perspective, it doesn't necessarily uh, mean all that much. But as, as uh, Thomas mentioned about, uh, um, you know, SEO and all that, if your business depends on that or if it can be helped by that, certainly that would be good. I, I just wanted to make one little mention. It's one of my pet peeves with contests. I, I really get tired of contests that really kind of, you know, charge a lot to, to enter. And there are a lot of sort of cash grab contests out there that even prey on students and kind of young photographers. This one is, is different in that there is no entry as far as I can see. Um, but, you know, when you look at the rules, there's still all the legalese. And when you get to the intellectual property rights, it looks as though you retain ownership of the copyright, which is good. 
But then there's like a lot of stuff in between that is a little bit hard to understand in yeah. terms of when you, you enter. Like you, you enter your photos, we own them, and we can publish them and make money from them, and uh, you lose all rights. <laughs> well, you know, there's that kind of thing. I don't think this contest is exactly that, but there's a lot of stuff in, in between the you own the copyright and we're not going to exploit it for commercial purposes yep. that kind of say that in that, you know, and when they talk about perpetual, worldwide, royalty-free, um, all this stuff for, for, for themselves and all that. I mean, these are big companies, and it's not completely altruistic. I guess the lawyers you know, have to, to say that. So I'm just a little bit wary of that. I, I hate to see um, you know, people taken advantage of in that way, and you know, a company like Google doesn't necessarily have to, to do that. they got plenty of cash. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that, you know, because I am a little bit familiar with this contest, is that uh, as far as the way that contests do get set up, and obviously the lawyers do have to look at certain things like, you know, if you're a winner, yes, we are going to show your photo because you're the winner. And that's part of it, and so you, you kind of have rights to do this. But, uh, but absolutely and unequivocally, um, it states very, very clearly on the contact page, I'm looking at it right now, it says, who owns the copyright to the photograph submitted? Students retain ownership of all intellectual property rights in the entry. Google will not commercially exploit the photographs. Yeah, so, but at the same time, Thomas, it does mention that um, you know they can be used by not only Google and Sachi, but affiliates, licensees, promotional partners, developers, and third market third market entities. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's just not all that clear. I, I think you're right. I think their heart's probably in the right place. But even, you know, as, as someone entering it, you can interpret that perhaps in different ways. Maybe they, they can, you know, have a partner use it in a way that, you know, who's gonna, who, who decides what commercial exploitation really is. But, uh, but I Well, so, so one, one other thing, though, just on that, is because I've actually, this comes up, and I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. I think, you know, 95% of these contests out there are, 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 are in a lot of ways terrible. Uh, mm. particularly where they're charging people these entry fees and things like this. And it's just basically, I don't want to say scam, but I think a lot of these contests are just, you know, they're really not good for photographers yeah. and whatnot. Uh, but, uh, however, I will say in the, under the intellectual property rights section, which is section 11 on the terms of the agreement, um, uh, what they say specifically is, and I'll just read it here, however, by entering the competition and to the extent allowed by law, entrant grants but solely in relation to the promotion and or advertising of the Google Photography Prize or Google Plus service only. So they're, they're stipulating that they say the only way they can use your image and, and their affiliates, licensees, and promotional partners, et cetera, is in relation to this specific contest and Google Plus. So, so I don't know. I, 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 did, I, I did take a look at that and... Um, you know, Google was pretty specific. They said, you know, they will not commercially exploit the photographs and all such rights of commercial exploitation remain with entrance. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think as far as contest goes, I mean, if, if someone had said, what's the most ideal way you could run a contest and the language you could use. And obviously Google still has lawyers and they have to, there's some basic language that they have to have in there. I think that the language is very specific that it's, it's, you get all the rights. It's your image. They can use your image to promote the contest in Google Plus, and anybody who's you know they've employed to you know promote the contest in Google Plus. 
But I think it's the ideal, in a way, the ideal way a contest should be run if there ever was one. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly I have no qualms about winning entries. It's just, you know, if any entry can be used um, for, you know, promotion of that contest and it doesn't win without any kind of remuneration. So, Steve, you're, you're mainly concerned about Google building up a, a stock library and being able to use your I, images to really promote, I'm not really concerned right? about it, but I think that depending on how you interpret the language, does it mean that um, anybody who enters any pictures, even if they don't win anything, their image can be used for promotional purposes, specifically, I guess, of this contest, which limits it somewhat, but that means that you could sort of enter have your image used, exploited to a certain extent, you know, and, and not necessarily, you know, get anything out of it. But yeah. uh, anyway, let's not quibble over it. I think as far as contests go, you know, I, I think it's it's certainly way ahead of, of many of them that when you, you you would lose copyright, which immediately you, you don't enter any of those. And the bottom line is just for photographers to be smart. I mean, if you're going to enter something, just read the terms and services, service, and if you agree to it, then go ahead and press the submit button. If you don't, then walk away. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's just that simple. Um, and like to Thomas's point, if you... And you're a Steve as well. If you, you know, if you understand or believe that in this case, Google is their heart is in the right place and they're being altruistic about this, then go ahead and enter, you know, the, in the glass is half full, so to speak, and don't, don't be suspect. But if you are a suspect, you have the right to not enter right at any time. All right, guys. Um, I want to, I want to do a quick insert of this interview right now. I did a, I had a great conversation with photographer Jeff Shiwi, um, a while back, actually was a couple weeks ago. Um, he's an award-winning advertising photographer. He's based in Chicago and has been for about 25 years. He's done tabletop, location, portraiture, and he's like a veteran in the computer imaging. And that sounds weird to say computer imaging, but <laughs> in the computer imaging sort of area. Um, he's sort of the Photoshop guru's guru. He's on the inside of Photoshop working with Adobe to to help guide and direct the features that show up in the next version of Photoshop that many of us will use. So I chatted with him about all this stuff and, um, and we just had a good old conversation about photography and digital imaging and basically what it takes to be a commercial photographer in today's market. So let's uh, give this interview a listen. Come here with Jeff Shiwi. He is a advertising photographer. He's an author. He's a consultant. He's a software developer, beta tester, and in his own words, a general pain in the ass. He's a guy that, like, I, I think I, I interviewed you before. I think it was at Photo Plus or Photoshop World or something a while ago. And uh, I think what I said during that interview, Jeff, was you are one of those folks that generally has forgotten more about photography and software than most of us have learned so far. <laughs> so you are you're in that area of you know, you just you just know your stuff, you know your crap. So, thanks for taking the time today to talk to me and this week in photo audience about the stuff that we have to talk about, which is pretty interesting. So, welcome. Well, thank you, Frederick, and thanks for having me. And you're welcome. And uh, putting up with me. <laughs> yeah, putting up with the, your general pain in the assness, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I'm a pain in the ass, but I'm a useful pain in the ass. There you go. There I you do go. tend to drive stuff forward. There you go. Kind of like a suppository, right? <laughs> That would be a useful pain in the ass to drive stuff forward. I'm just saying. <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> you know, I'm baiting you. I'm baiting yeah. you. 
So, uh, some of the things we're going to talk about, uh, just basically, what have you been up to over the last, I don't know, year or so? I mean, it's been a while since we talked. So, what's been going on in the world of Shiwi? Well, it's kind of nice. I've, uh, in between books, because, you know, Photoshop uh, 5 and 5.5 5 shipped, and then, yeah. uh, so I'm done with the Camera Raw book until the next version. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, other than that, I've just been kind of hanging out playing around, uh, doing fun projects. Uh, I've, I've hooked up with uh, the Phase 1 folks and done a number of uh, workshops. I've been to um, Iceland, Australia. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I just got back from uh, southeast Washington State in the Palouse area around Pullman, Washington, shooting the harvest, and that was uh, a lot of fun. Um, the beginning of this year... Pixel Genius uh, launched a new version of PhotoKit Sharpener 2. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the principals of Pixel Genius, along with Mac Holbert, Seth Resnick, Martin Evening, Andrew Rodney. Um, let's see, is that all of them? I don't want to miss any of them. <laughs> uh, a bunch so, of talented people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do a uh, series of products uh, called PhotoKit. Photo and what, Kit does Sharp- that, what does that do? Is this is it plugins for Photoshop? Yes, it's uh, automated plugins that basically do uh, what Bruce Fraser came up with uh, and embodied in a plugin. It's kind of the concept of uh, uh, sharpening workflow, uh, capture sharpening, creative sharpening, and output sharpening. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so now all three of our products have been updated to uh, be able to work in uh, CS5 and 64-bit. That was a real pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, but gotta you got it going. You got it going, and everything's working. Everybody's happy. Yeah, 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 and it's been very successful. Yeah, it's very uh, cool. the output sharpening of PhotoKit Sharpener is actually uh, the basis, and we worked with Adobe to get the output sharpening uh, routines and concept into uh, Lightroom and Camera Raw. So when you actually print out of Lightroom. Uh, you can actually use, uh, uh, um, you know, Pixel Genius has ended up touching your uh, pixels, which I think is kind of fun. That's cool. So you're baked in there then. Yep. That's very cool. So when you when you say you, you, you went on this trip, like to, to Washington and all this stuff, are, is this for clients or is this, is no, this you actually, just uh, hanging out? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I wish. Yeah. Uh, no, it's actually a series of workshops that Phase 1 puts on. Um, Kevin Raber, uh, who is uh, kind of the VP uh, here in the U.S. for Phase 1, which is based in uh, Denmark, mm-hmm. uh, they're called POTUS, not to be confused with POTUS, mm-hmm. which is President of the United States. Yeah. This is the Phase 1 Digital Artist Series of Workshops. And uh, so what we do is basically go off with a very super intense four or five day shooting schedule and people come, they pay a pretty healthy price, but they come and they actually get the use of a phase one camera and a digital back uh, and then instructors, uh, you know, uh, with pre-chosen uh, itinerary and uh, everything's all inclusive. They get picked up at the airport and then uh, vanned around to all the locations and then drop back to the airport at the end of the workshop. But 
it's hard work. <laughs> uh, we had 4.45 a.m. calls to be able to get out for sunrise locations. And then uh, we were, you know, come back to the hotel, have some workshops, and then go back out for sunset, and then come back and have dinner and drinks started at 9.30. So uh, then the next morning, it'd be up at 4.45. That's a full day. That's yeah. a full day. Wow. Yeah. And how many days does this go on, go on for? Uh Started on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it was, it started, it's like four and a half days. Okay. Jeez. Wow. Pretty intense. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, some of the instructors on the one in Palouse was, it was fun. Uh, um, Art Wolf was there. Uh, Michael Reichman, uh, Mark Dubovoy and myself. And even the CTO, Klaus Volgard from phase one came and spent some time. So he actually, it's kind of fun. They like to eat their own dog food. They actually go out and photograph with their own equipment. That's great. That's great. So then like when, when you're out there is the goal for the photographers, the, the attendees that come is the goal for them to leave with like portfolio shots or is the goal for them to just become more familiar with phase one gear? What's the, what's the takeaway? Well, I think uh, all of the above. I mm-hmm. think the aim is to go out there and, uh, learn how to use medium format digital backs, uh, which is uh, photographically challenging. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, to go out there and actually do neat shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wouldn't be getting up at 4.45 a.m. if we weren't going out there trying to get uh, nice shots, yeah. you know. Yeah. I just sleep and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then drink at night. Uh, although I will say uh, I really much prefer sunset to sunrise. Yeah. Uh, I really hate going out in the middle of nowhere in the dark. You know, you know exactly where the sun's going to come up, but you really can't see unless you've pre-scouted. And some of the locations that we shot sunrise were pre-scouted, which helps. That's good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Sunset, you know what's going to happen, and you just gradually lose the light, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah as opposed that, to trying to trying to guess. gradually lose the light. Yes, except for the fact that the light goes down much quicker, and if you're trying to get from point A to point B to nail multiple locations at the optimum time, it gets a little tense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one of the shots that I did. I'll hold this up. It's not a. A great. Oh yeah, look at that. Was that green silos there? Yeah, in front, uh, with a uh, old green jalopy in front. Nice. Uh, and I'm actually using that uh, shot and some others in an upcoming article that I'm writing for Digital Photo Pro about output resolution and sharpening for uh, inkjet printing. Very cool. Yeah, that's cool. So that's one thing we didn't we mentioned author in the intro, yeah. but you're yeah. you're not just a book author, you're you're you write regularly for 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 magazine publications and that sort of thing, right? Uh, regularly. Uh, I write when I have something to say and and one of the things that I've uh discovered with uh uh, starting to use these uh, high-res digital backs. I just got an IQ 180, which is 80 megapixels. Um, so it yeah. takes pictures of cellular activity then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yes, if you get in close enough. Um, yeah. But the thing about it is that uh, when, uh, when we were doing the Lightroom 3 beta, uh, Lightroom's uh, uh, print resolution output, was capped off at 480 pixels per inch, mm-hmm. which meant that if I was printing out something that was not huge, that I actually 
Lightroom was actually downsampling my image to be able to print it. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, wait a second. I didn't spend 40 grand for a back just to have it downsampled to be like a port and shoot. Mm -hmm. So um, I was able to convince Kevin T. Scudder to up the maximum resolution to 720. And recently I've been playing around with a Epson 4900 and discovering that uh, printing out at 720 with finest detail in the Epson driver uh, leads to better results. So I decided to write an article about it. Yeah, and Kevin T. Scudder is on the he's on the Lightroom engineering team, right? He's one of the guys that are turning the, turning the dials and wheels behind the scenes to make sure the, the thing is operating in optimal like parameters for people like you, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So speaking of Lightroom, speaking of Lightroom development, um, you know, I, I had a conversation with Katrina Eisman, you know, Katrina Eisman a few days ago, actually, and it may have been aired by the time that people see this. But what, you know, one of the questions I posed to her is, you know, a couple, maybe a year, maybe a year plus, you know, I don't know, 12 months, whatever, a while ago, there was this, Get it out, Frederick. there was this fight between apple and adobe about who's gonna win aperture or lightroom yada 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 notwithstanding you know aperture was not on or is not on pcs but well, clearly today that, the dust that, is settled exit an unfair fight right there right yeah but clearly even even if you take pcs out of it amongst amongst mac users uh, in my opinion it looks like the dust is settled and lightroom is standing on top of a pile of bodies waving the flag Right. So does that mean Adobe is now resting on their laurels and we're not going to see any updates or we're going to see slower updates? And especially if Apple stops innovating on Aperture, that means the, the Lightroom team can just sort of take a breather and slow things down? That's a loaded question. It is. <laughs> I ask loaded questions. <laughs> Now, now uh, let me let me frame that. And you have inside knowledge, right? And yeah. you are a beta tester on the software, so don't reveal anything you know. You know that's gonna that's gonna jeopardize any of that. But just from a user standpoint, you know, pointing the compass in the right direction is is or a broader question: Is Adobe sitting on its hands with Lightroom? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, I made uh, a yes/no question for you instead of an open-ended. How's that? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not allowed to tell you that I'm beta testing the next version, and right. I can't tell you what's in it. But uh, yes. um, I, I honestly think, with regards to the Adobe Apple relationship, they're like the Gemini twins. You know, they're so close in proximity, and uh, Apple wouldn't be Apple without Adobe, and Adobe wouldn't be Adobe without Apple. Yeah, uh, they, it's like two brothers or you know, twins uh, that get in there and, you know, have family feuds from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like, uh, you know, Flash is kind of almost a goner. Mm -hmm. uh, Windows 8 um, in the Metro uh, version of Windows 8 won't support Flash. Oh, but really? Adobe's, oh, I didn't know oh, that. Yeah, that was just announced. Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, Adobe's working very hard on HTML5 uh, video support. So, um uh, I think that a lot of people presume that Adobe does certain things either because uh, or to compete with uh, uh, Apple. And I, I really don't think, you know, you used to work for Adobe, mm -hmm. and it, it really isn't that way. I mean, uh, the guy that started Aperture and the guy that started Lightroom kind of 
lived pretty close to one another, knew one another, and and talk from time to time. Is that your cat? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> How did you did you see me reaching? Because she's, uh, uh, yeah. she's. I saw a little piece of fur come in the lower <laughs> left hand corner. <laughs> she is. Uh, whenever I start, it's weird. Whenever I do podcasts and she sees me on the mic, she has to be right right here. She yeah. has to get on my lap or something. So I'm like, I'm doing video now. You gotta. Stay on your little bed over there. Okay, sorry about that. Well, the bottom line with Lightroom is it. Uh, I think Lightroom's biggest competition really uh, is Photoshop, and photo, one of Photoshop's biggest competitors is Lightroom. Uh, I know a lot of people that are using the most recent version of Lightroom, but an older version of Photoshop because so much of their image processing needs can be handled by Lightroom. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, I kind of know what's going to be in the next version of uh, Photoshop as well. And, uh, you know, Brian Hughes and the team on the Photoshop uh, engineers are really pushing Photoshop forward as well. So uh, Adobe really kind of moves at its own pace and yeah. tries to get the stuff done. Uh, I think Shatanu was pretty upfront uh, when they announced uh, Photoshop 5.5, they kind of gave a time frame of when the next version of photo Photoshop will be out, which will be next spring. Uh, and I'm not revealing anything that uh, Shantanu hadn't already said. Yeah. So, you know, figure that Camera Raw in Photoshop and Lightroom, you know, one can kind of guess when the next version of Lightroom uh, might be showing up. Yeah, yeah. Well, so good. So there's 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 no dust there's no dust on the Lightroom team over there. They're they're cranking away. Oh uh, yeah, they are cranking away. Uh, you know, I think um, uh, Adobe tries to maintain a healthy staff, but uh, whether it's Camera or Lightroom, uh, mm -hmm. they're very small engineering teams. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Those guys work till their tongues hang out. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. So speaking of software, um, at Photoshop World, Adobe released Adobe Carousel. Yeah. Um, thoughts? Spearheaded by you-know-who. What's that? Spearheaded by you-know-who. Who? Mark Amber. Oh, okay. The, the chief scientist over there. Yeah, very yeah. good. Well, Mark, who also started uh, Lightroom, and then went away for a while on a sabbatical to uh, Microsoft. Came back to Adobe. A sabbatical at Microsoft. <laughs> well, it was about. It didn't take that long for him to realize that the, uh, the water in the know, pool wasn't warm enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's one way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so he came back and he is working with the DI team. He's kind of. Uh, I, I don't understand relative job titles, but he's kind of like Thomas Knoll's boss. Mm. Um, but he's kind of driving um, conceptually um, camera on Lightroom. And one of the things that came out of this was Adobe's attempt at uh, getting into the mobility market mm -hmm. and hence Adobe Carousel. Yeah, uh, I haven't had anything to do with Carousel. I think Mark, even though I've worked with Mark, since the mid-90s uh, as alpha and beta tester and concepting with Mark on a lot of features in Photoshop and Lightroom, uh, it's not directed towards me. It's yeah. definitely a consumer product. Yeah. And I think the usual suspects, like Katrine and, and some of the other regulars that have been alpha beta testers for Photoshop and Lightroom, were intentionally 
not engaged in the development of carousel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really a consumer product. I've seen it playing. Uh, seen it playing. I've played with it mm-hmm. on an iPad, and you know, it's a very, uh, it's a one O product, but it's kind of slick. Yeah. Uh, only works with JPEGs at this point. Probably. That's, yeah, that's what Katrina was saying. Is the that's the. the that's the one thing that says it's a consumer only product right there is JPEG only. My question w- to her, and I'll pose it to you as well, is was um, uh, Apple is about to launch iCloud, presumably, which has, I think, a duplication of these features in there already in terms of being able to shoot photos and have them appear on multiple other devices with little or no effort, right? Is Am I missing something here with Carousel? Is it is it overlapping what Apple's going to do natively in the OS? Uh, well, if you're an iCloud subscriber, number one. Yeah. Um, although I think uh, the basic iCloud is free. It is. It is free, and then if you need more space or horsepower or whatever, then you have to pay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but one of the things that um, Adobe Carousel has at its core is kind of the camera raw image processing pipeline. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a store share. It's also a process uh, image correction cropping kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it would be kind of a combination of iPhoto and iCloud in one application. Okay. Okay. Because the other thing was um, when they announced iCloud, they announced that they were going to make the APIs for hooks into it available to third-party developers. So presumably all these other guys out there that are developing these apps and deploying them in the app store, these mini versions of Photoshop and elements and all that stuff um, could make cloud versions that yeah. save to the cloud and, and distribute out to other devices, right? Yeah. Including Adobe, of course. Yeah. So Adobe could do the same thing and use the hooks in iCloud. So why I'm still scratching my head is like, why would they build this thing when, I mean, yeah, of course, I'm thinking myopically in Mac only, right? Because I'm a Mac user, but of course, there's the Windows universe and all that. But on the Mac side, why would they build this and spend the money on this on the Mac when um, Apple is building the hooks for them to do it for free, basically? Well, there's Android, there's Windows yeah. 8, and those are both, uh, Adobe's announced that those will both be supported yeah. um, Matt, now that's the in answer, yeah. 2012. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> and then the other thing is, well, got to give Mark Hamburg something to do in his spare time, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, yeah, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. You know, he's, uh, he's one of those people that... Um, you you know that he sees the world in zeros and ones when he looks around and and can like see patterns in the chaos and and make action on them before you even realize that there are patterns. You know? yeah. <laughs> so he's a smart guy. He's so just... the underline the the theme and currently you know Carousel and Lightroom are separate and there's no correlation. A lot of people have looked for a uh, Lightroom light on iPad mm-hmm. or iPhone. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Carousel could evolve into that. I think there'll be some hooks. I don't know, but I think there'll be some hooks in the upcoming version of Lightroom that's not been announced mm-hmm. uh, so that you could probably publish to um, Carousel. And, you know, Ranking, rating, doing some stuff, preliminary stuff in Carousel could carry forward 
uh, eventually into Lightroom. Yeah. And if you saw the carousel interface, it's kind of dark, kind mm -hmm. of Lightroom-esque. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know. Hey, uh, well, we can we can read the tea leaves all we want, but you know, I guess we'll wait and see. The good, the, I guess, the good well, news first, is there's, first, there's. I actually know what's going to happen, but I just can't tell you. You can't tell us, yeah, I know. Well, we can read we, as in the the non insider group, can read the tea leaves and just hope, and and we know that um, whatever is coming is going to be good, you know, because you know we're moving, we're pushing the envelope forward. And we're on the. I feel like we're on this 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 sort of downhill slope in a good way. That all this good stuff, whether it's cameras, it's software, services online, keep coming up, and they're always good. You know, it's all this good stuff for us to use. Whether you know, you look back twenty years ago, we had, we had nothing. You know, and now we got stuff coming left well, and we right. Had film. We had film. Yeah, no way to share Dark. other than hey, look at what I shot. Look at that. Which is actually pretty cool. My daughter. Uh, is about ready to graduate from college, and she's just wrapping up some elective hours. Mm -hmm. So she's taking a photo 101 class. Oh. They're giving her a Vivitar 35-millimeter film camera. She has to use black-and-white film. Mm -hmm. She has to process it herself. She said, Dad, can I use your darkroom? And I said, uh, it's kind of not a darkroom anymore. <laughs> it's where I store a lot of boxes. And, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, But I... You know, helped her kind of learn how to use the manual camera. No autofocus, no auto exposure. Wow! And uh, it's kind of very retro that they're making her shoot film. She has a digital camera and she shoots with it all the time. But a isn't film cheating camera, though. I mean, isn't it cheating having Jeff Shiwi as a father when you're taking a photography class? <laughs> Come on. Well, uh, Erica, my daughter, has yeah. not actually told the instructor. If he deduces based upon our last name, yeah. You know, but uh, no. <laughs> what? She's not hey, you know, it, it's the luck of the draw, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that and speaking of learning photography, you know, a lot of questions I get from, from the audience a lot of times is, you know, people trying to break into different kinds of photography. Like people want to be wedding photographers. They want to be fashion photographers. Um, and one area that I know you're intimate with is commercial photography. A lot of people are like, hey, what are the steps and should I jump into being a commercial photographer? How do I do that? So, Jeff Shiwi, the commercial photographer, what's the answer to that question? Well, just to uh, be clear, I'm a reformed advertising photographer. <laughs> recovering? Really, yeah, recovering advertising photographer. I really don't do that anymore. Yeah. And when I got into the business in the early 80s, the industry was entirely different. Um, I don't know that I'm in a good position to give people uh, really good advice mm -hmm. uh, about literally how to do it in this day and age. I will tell you some things that I think uh, are important. Um, if you want to be a commercial advertising photographer, it really does help to be in a major market yeah. because uh, – being in a small town, <clears throat> it's just going to be tough to find a diverse enough client base that you can call upon. The other thing is that um, <clears throat> there are sub, if you are in a major market like here in Chicago, there are subdivisions in commercial advertising photography. Um, I basically got into it as being a special problem solver, mm -hmm. which basically meant that an art director would come up with a layout that was impossible to photograph. 
So I would end up figuring out how to do it in multiple images and to be able to put it together by computer. My first commercial assignment that was imaged by computer was in 1984, mm. a long time before Photoshop. That's the birth, birth year of the Mac. Yeah. yeah, and that was the same year that I got a Mac. I had been in computers prior to that with a Commodore 64. Uh, but, I had that. <laughs> yeah. So, but the thing is that... Um, uh, I think what you need to do is to figure out what it is that you really want to do with your career. Um, towards the end, I had a kind of a subspecialty of high-speed um, freeze-frame captures, mm -hmm. you know, uh, doing wine and beer pours. I did a lot of work uh, for Budweiser, a lot of beer mm -hmm. work. So, um, you know... If you have an affinity for something, uh, if you're really good at rigging, for example, um, you know, uh, being able to shoot stuff for the clients because they're going to come and and want you to perform impossible tasks. Mm -hmm. uh, but it really is different these days. I used to try to get it all in one shot, and I used to shoot eight by ten, and just to get an eight by ten Chrome that was in focus without dust all over everything with the product looking good uh, in the eighties, that was uh, a skill and talent that was very valuable in one shot. That's like in one shot. You're, yeah. you're spending what hours, days, whatever, getting that thing yeah, lit and, and everything yeah. lit and ready to yeah. go. And yeah. when you hit that button, that's yeah. it, right? No, I used the air release. Oh, when you, when you squeeze that air release, <laughs> yeah, I just love squeezing. <laughs> um, these days, and, and, you know, in the 90s, my claim to fame was being able to break down a layout and shoot the elements and then put it together by computer uh, in Photoshop uh, by myself. Uh, ironically, since, you know, turn of the century, um, I'm actually getting back into more straight photography, not multi-image combinations. I'll do it when I need to, but, um, uh, you know, just going out there with a high-res camera and getting, you know, landscape or, uh, you know, abstracts or interesting shots. But I'm not doing that commercially anymore. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that I think that people need to develop a really refined specialist portfolio mm -hmm. that that shows your vision um, not to be inclined to do stuff that you think people want you mm -hmm. to do, but like to do trendy stuff, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Do stuff that you really want to be doing and to do it incredibly well, because uh, I think that people that are really talented, that really have a craft. Um, <clears throat> and if that, craft and vision is um, valuable to uh, product or advertising uh, or, you know, um, uh, annual report kind of work mm -hmm. that, um, you know, they will hire you for your vision and ability to create images. And the key is to be unique, you know, not to be one of a thousand people that could do the job, but be one of maybe three or four that could do the job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then... Be, and be the very, best of that three or four, right? Well, I mean, you know, it'll vary. Um, but then the next thing I was going to say is uh, be very good at business. Mm. Um, because 
not unlike being, you know, um, any other kind of businessman, commercial advertising photography is a business. And uh, the fact is that a lot of people think that the true value of an image is how hard it was to produce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how hard it was to produce has no real bearing on uh, the value of the image. The value of the image is how much somebody is willing to pay to be able to use that image for marketing and promotion. Yep. So the key is to really be able to understand what the value of the, of the image can be for licensing and advertising use. Um, I think that uh, in this day and age, um, you know, when I started, stock photography was big. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, I used to be president of the Advertising Photographers of America, and one of the reasons that uh, we encourage photographers to retain their copyright and only license the use that the clients actually needed, uh, was to you know maintain the value of the image and be able to license it for stock. Yeah. But unfortunately, in this day and age, uh, microstock, Stock photography, really. Uh, it's not what, think, he, not what it used to be. Yeah. Not not a really good career choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I still think that bottom line, the business being able to look at a layout, um, uh, give a really accurate estimate, come in at the estimated price, uh, unless the clients make changes, um, and to actually make your client's life easy by being able to, you know, by being prepared and, and, uh, uh, being professional, you know, I think you can be successful. It's a tough business now. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are a lot of people with digital cameras and, and Photoshop that you'll be competing with. Um, but I think that if you have a really good vision and, uh, you know, and, uh, have some business skills uh, you can make it uh, in commercial advertising yeah yeah what about um, what about education to be a commercial photographer should should people go buy a bunch of books you know go get on Kelby training whatever and and learn how to do it that way or should they go to some place high end on the far end of the spectrum like Katrine at uh, the SVA you know the School of Visual Arts in New York I think uh, it depends upon your means Mm-hmm. and your own kind of approach. Um, I went to RIT, mm-hmm. uh, graduated with highest honors. Uh, so, you know, I came out of RIT knowing exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to and become you're a doing it. Uh, Well, I did it. You did it, yeah. Five years. Yeah. Um, but when I got into the business, uh, you know, I took business and economics and business law in college in addition to um, – uh, CMYK printing and all the photo stuff. Yeah, photo education is different these days, but I still think a place like RIT or uh, SVA, um, uh, the uh, uh, design center in LA. Mm-hmm. What's that called? Um, um, I'm not, I don't know. Well, there's Brooks and there's the only one I know about is the Bur- is Brooks in Santa Barbara. Yeah, but there's a. Uh, uh, we'll think of it. We'll think yeah. of it. We'll put it. The okay. whoever's watching this will put it in the comments on this blog post. Okay. <laughs> so I, th- you know, I think you can get a good education in college. I think college and universe academia 
is having kind of a hard time dealing with the rapid change of uh, uh, photographic technology. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine at uh, RIT, it was just last year that they finally got around to converting all the senior color darkrooms into imaging suites. Mm-hmm. You know, they had color darkrooms, uh, 150. And nobody was using it because nobody was, like, printing color uh, chemically. So, uh, an, and an awful lot of photo educators, particularly the graybeards like this, that refused to get into digital early on, um, a lot of their process, their technique is uh, uh, kind of last millennium, out of yeah. date. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, this stuff but, changes so quickly, though, too. I mean, it's uh, the fundamentals are always the same because physics doesn't really change, you know. But but uh, the technology to capture those photons and get them out and share them keeps changing. You know, it's a moving target. And, and Photoshop and yeah. light, you know. Uh, but I will say, I think Kelby Training or Linda dot com. Uh, you know, as long as you've got high speed internet uh, and uh, spend some time. Um, uh, I'm also involved with Michael Reichman at Luminous Landscape. Mm-hmm. Huh. Sorry, <laughs> what was that? That was that little motor scooter that went by. Oh, okay. Uh, LuminousLandscape.com. We do. Uh, we just released uh, camera to print and screen uh, video tutorial. Uh, we had done a previous one, and this is the revised version. And we don't get into the commercial aspects so much, but we get into image quality image processing capture, you know, um, how to take a really good image to start with and really add to it in the processing pipeline and then take it out to print or uh, uh, mobile media. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. What's next for for Jeff Shiwi? Where are you going? Photo Plus Expo? Next workshop? What's going on? I don't actually have any workshops locked in. Uh, I was hoping to go to the POTUS in... um, uh, um, New Zealand, mm-hmm. but it looks like they're bringing Australian photographers because it's yeah. cheaper. <laughs> yeah, Aussies do um, the Kiwis. Yeah. But we'll see. Uh, I'm thinking about trying to hook up uh, with Seth Resnick in New York for a couple of days at Photo Expo. Um, there'll be some Adobe people there that I might hook up with as well. But um, no, the the thing that I'm working on at the moment is uh, uh, this article for Digital Photo Pro. And then kind of getting ready for the next round of book hell. Yeah. <laughs> the, the next round of, uh, why do you call it book hell? Well. You must uh, love it if you keep, you, have, you, you keep publishing. Love it. Hmm. <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's when you're trying to write about something that is in the process of evolving and changing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I try to wait as long as possible to kind of like commit to stuff. Yep. And of course, then that means that, well, you know, <laughs> I still have a deadline. The uh, publishers want the books out as quick as possible. Although I have a secret weapon. Um, you know, Adobe, when they release a, uh, you know, a major um, version update, uh, they have till the end of the first quarter in which that version is released Mm -hmm. to add features after that because of accounting um 
all they can do is performance and bug fixes and maintenance releases. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've I've got my publisher conditioned to the fact that my book will not come out until after that dot one release. Yeah. So Camera Raw seven dot one yeah. is what the book will be about. Very so cool. it gives me a little bit uh, of uh, um, additional time. I just want to make sure that I've got the most accurate um, and the final features because the way software is written at some point, they've got to have a feature freeze. And because Photoshop is part of creative suite that is earlier in the time cycle than a lot of the engineers would like. So that dot one release is big, but you know, figure that according to Chantanu, you know, springtime. So I'll be into book hell probably starting in January. Wow. Well, you'll be fine. Well, you got that ceiling fan, so, you know, hell yeah. will be cool. <laughs> right? yeah. Well, and then the other thing is, uh, it is kind of a pain here in the summer, but because, you know. And you're in Chicago, all, for folks yeah. that don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all my computers underneath, it is really kind of like a, uh, 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 a furnace underneath yeah. my desk. Yeah. Which in January is really nice. Yeah, I bet. Well, you yeah. know, you could cool off a little bit if you, uh, you know, just shave a little bit right there. Yeah. <laughs> Get yeah. rid of beard. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be cooler. It'd be like Somebody you know, asked, Frederick, and just like clean. You know, nothing. Somebody asked me when the last time I shaved it off, and I had a hard time remembering. It was when my daughter was three, and she's now twenty-eight. Oh wow! You don't yeah. even know what you look like then. <laughs> well, I don't know what I look like now. No, <laughs> without the beard, I got no. I could do it in Photoshop, I suppose. Yeah, no, no, you couldn't. Yeah. Well, cool, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time on your Saturday to uh, to chat with me. Let me pick your ear and pepper you with this stuff. Yeah, uh, I was kind of keeping half an eye on the Notre Dame Michigan State game <laughs> on TV with the sound off. Uh, of course, tomorrow it's going to be. We had to do it today because I don't really care about. Um, college football but tomorrow is going to be the bears game against new orleans and, and by the time people will see this we'll know who won but yeah. uh, i said no we can't do that on sunday that's pro football sunday yeah i would have none so of your attention day. none it no no none of your attention it'd be like the game playing right next to the screen there right yeah cool all right sir well thank you all right, that was Jeff Shiwi. If you want to learn more about Jeff, you can head over to his website at Shiwi Photo. That's S-C-H-E-W-E photo.com. You can check out his work and um, and go from there. All right, guys, it is time for some listener Q&A. This is a segment where our guests answer questions that have been coming in from our audience via our website, forums, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, etc. Um, and if you, listener, would like to submit your questions, just use the hashtag uh, pound uh, twip questions and, and get them over to us, and we'll see if we can answer them on the show. The first question is from Adam in the forum. He writes, I am attending a yearly lantern fest festival where children and adults walk through a dark forest carrying lanterns. Anybody have any tips and tricks for photographing events like this if you can't use a tripod? Martin, you're the guy that's running around Tokyo and Japan and northern Japan in precarious situations taking photos. What would you recommend to Adam about how to get a shot of a light, people carrying a light in pitch black? 
I, I think the first thing, if you've got a, an image-stabilized lens, grab, grab that for this shooting. And if, even if you haven't, set your aperture to wide open or close to it and set your ISO to as high as you dare. Um, you know, because if you go too high, obviously, you're going to get a lot of noise. What but is that you, ISO? Like, like as, as high as you dare, like on a Canon side, if you're shooting with, a, let's say, a 5D, most, most folks will probably have a 5D. What, what would the highest ISO that you want to shoot with be? I think it, it's a trade-off. As, you, know, you might end up with a little bit more noise, but I generally, my ceiling for um, the ISO on my 5D Mark II is 1600. If if I'm if I'm up at sixteen hundred, the the spider photos that I that I threw onto five hundred px and um, Google Plus yesterday, one of those was shot with the ambient light with the ISO at sixteen hundred, and it's a little bit noisy, but that's totally acceptable to me. You know, I I did the others with with flash, but um, so it it really depends on your camera. The thing is is that the seven I know that the seven D doesn't do quite as well. Um, I've shot with I've got some really, really good, sharp and crisp images of an owl um, in Hokkaido that I shot at 64,000 with the 1D Mark IV. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really depends on your camera. You just need to know at what point... I mean, uh, conversely, my, my 1DS Mark III, the most ex- expensive camera of the th- cameras of the three, is noisy from 400 onwards. So, you know, you, you really just have to know what, you, what your camera's capable of with regards to ISO. And, and set it there, you know, go to where you think that you can, you can handle the noise. And also, it depends what, what, photo, what um, software you're using to develop your images as well. If, you, if you're working in Lightroom, Lightroom does a great job now. Lightroom 3 work, does a really, really good job of reducing the noise. Yeah. Um, there are also, there are, there are plugins that will do this for you as well. But just you know, try to try to figure out where the the highest ISO that you can comfortably shoot at is, and use that. Um, but then, the the combination of you know the the wide aperture and the dark, you you'll need to do some exposure compensation. Or if you if you leave it up to your camera, then it will try and brighten everything up, and you'll get way too fast a shutter speed. You'll probably find that you need to go to about minus two stops of exposure compensation or you'll use manual mode. But, you know, use, use the effect. You want, you want the scene to be dark, and if you've got a wide open aperture, you'll probably focus on one person. You might have the lantern lighting up, say, a child's face, and that will be just about enough light to make a really moody image. But then the other lanterns in the distance that are out of focus, they, they'll look beautiful with little balls of, of light in the bucket. So, you know, just really, really use that to effect. Make sure that you don't overexpose the images because, like I say, if you leave it up to the camera, it will probably make it way too bright. So yeah. maybe, maybe minus, minus one and a half, two stops, uh, maybe even more. But just check the histogram. Check that you've got a nice amount of light in the, uh, the, for the lanterns. But then don't worry about having a big, a big spike on the left side where you're plugging up shadows because... You know, the shadows should be plugged up. That's what will give you the contrast between the, the light of the lanterns. And just make sure that you also, when, it, when you do have the lanterns close to a face, make sure that you can see detail in the face as well. Yeah. Uh, but really, that's, that's my advice. Now, Thomas, you're, you've, you've been probably in this situation, considering how many photos you take a week. Sure, like, yeah. What, what would, <laughs> like, how would you handle this? 
Well, I guess a couple of things. I mean, the first thing is, I, I don't know that I would be quite as cautious with the um, with the ISO. You know, I might even bump it up above sixteen hundred. Um, the reason why I say that is, you know, and I used to be more conservative with that, but um, you know, the noise the noise reduction technology and a lot of the software is getting very good. Mm-hmm. And you know, the stuff you can do with Lightroom three, I mean, that big jump from two to three with that noise reduction technology, uh, I thought was great. And so, you know, I even went back and took shots that I thought were too noisy that were unusable from years ago and was able to, you know, with Lightroom 3, was able to sort of salvage them in a way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I do tend to shoot higher than 1600 ISO sometimes if I need to. And if it's really mm. dark and you, and you can't shoot, uh, you can't get the light that you need without a higher ISO, um, you know, I would think about, you know, possibly going higher. But, you know, the other thing, a couple of other things that I would think about just because you don't have a tripod doesn't mean that you can't create a very stable image. Um, I'm not not necessarily handheld, but you know, find a light pole and put the camera up to the light pole and you know, wedge it in there. Put it mm-hmm. next to a tree. Uh, mm-hmm. Use a natural tripod. You know, find a bench or a table or you know anything around you. I mean, I don't know why he can't bring a tripod, but let's just say for whatever reason it's not feasible. Um, you know, I'll frequently do that. And then of course, then you can do other things and maybe even some really creative things with some longer exposures. You know, if you find the right wall that you can set your camera on and do sort of a five second exposure with these sort of, uh, you know, light trails from the lanterns that could look very cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think you, you want to think creatively and, and look for natural tripods and, um, you know, around you, and, and if if that's something to to wedge your camera up against and just hold it tight while you do a longer exposure. Uh, but I also, at the same time, if he was just going completely handheld and free, um, you know, I would, you know, you obviously want to play around with it and see what works and see where you're getting your right exposures, even from your LCD right there while you're doing it. But I, you know, I don't know, you know, I I frequently will shoot stuff. Uh, you know, up to 3,200 ISO. You know, I've even shot it, you know, 4,000 ISO and 6,400 wow. in some cases. So. And publish those images? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, wow. That's you know, something else that we're thinking about what, you know, based on what Thomas just said, and you could also probably do something where you had a, a, a mixture of a long exposure and then a burst of flash. If you, if you were to say move the camera around so that you, you created a streak of, of image, you know, the, the light from the lanterns, and then at the end, a, a pop of flash that was maybe set to underexposed by a couple of stops as well, just to freeze the, a person or with a lantern at the end, that might work as well. You know, just, you'd, get a, you'd get a really streaky effect with the lanterns, and then someone that was actually there at crisp at the, at the end of it. You, you'd need to set the camera up right and do a bit of experimentation, but yeah. that might oh, work the, too. Those could look great. Those could look very, I mean, mm. that's what I mean. I think when sometimes when you're faced with these uh, situations, trying to come up with uh, you know artistic solutions, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, makes sense. So yeah, yeah Grace, I, I, that's, that's a great right? idea. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add. I mean, you guys, you guys nailed it. As far as I was concerned, um, I would just add that you know in my experience, as much as I you know use aperture priority for like eighty-eight percent of the stuff I do. Um, this might be one of those times when manual mode might be a better choice, depending on you know, how even the lighting is because, you know, certainly when you have any kind of light source in your, in your frame, 
it's going to affect uh, the reading, and that's why you'd probably be, you know, exposure compensating, as Martin said, two stops. But sometimes if it's a fairly consistent uh, situation, uh, being in manual mode, determining what the best exposure is, and then just staying there uh, prevents, you know, frame-to-frame -frame, uh, variations that, uh, you know, can be problematic. But, Absolutely. Um, and I'm also not afraid of going up, up high. Certainly it's better to have, if, if you need a fast shutter speed, better to have uh, kind of a, uh, you know, a sharp enough image rather than a, a technically uh, noiseless uh, image that is not as interesting. Yeah. And certainly, yeah, you know, experimenting sure. with the slower shutter speeds and, you know, even panning a little bit. And as you guys said, flash dragging and all that stuff, you can, you can try it all. You've got time. It, it usually goes on for a little while. So, uh, you know, start at one thing. And then when you think you got something, maybe try the next. Yeah. Yeah, Steve is absolutely right, though, manual mode, for you know, because it's just so hard to light meter in a situation like that, I think. So, yeah, Steve, I, I, Steve's shooting primarily in aperture priority. Um, Thomas, what are you shooting in primarily? A aperture priority, but I would agree with him in this case. Absolutely, you'd, you'd want to figure it out, but be shooting manual. All right. What about you, Martin? What, what's your, what's your, what's your uh, exposure mode of choice? 99.999% manual mode. I, manual? I, 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 yeah, I actually, I actually get lost in aperture priority now. I, <laughs> I, I switched a few years ago, and uh, I was just being politically correct when I said when I mentioned the exposure compensation earlier. Because uh, personally, I mean, I just I use manual mode for everything. I, I don't like to leave anything to chance, but. So just, just to go off on a bit of a tangent here, so manual mode when you're when you're out in the mountains and you're shooting, you know these 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 little monkeys in Japan and you're doing all these great shots that I've seen that you do. Like, what do you do? I mean, are you using the, 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 the meter inside the camera to make sure that the, the little digital indicators at zero or how, how are you shooting manual? Do you have a light meter with you or what do you do? I sometimes use a light meter when I'm doing studio work, but for, for my wildlife work, I, I generally will exactly what you say. Um, I, Set it up with the cam, you know, with the camera there. Um, I'll, I'll usually the first thing I'll do if it's a snow scene is I'll point the camera down and fill the screen, fill the screen just with snow, and then I know that that needs to be plus one and two thirds or plus two stops, and I'll just set the the aperture to what I want to, you know, for my creative using the depth of field as the creative tool. I'll set my aperture first, and then I'll just go to the shutter speed and make, make it so that I um, I have the shutter speed set so that my parrot on the meter there is at plus two, plus one and two thirds or plus two. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, make a, I'll just make a test shot. Oh, and say if I need fast shutter speed, say for a, a flying bird or something, then the third aspect, of course, is the ISO. I will, if I need a faster shutter speed than I would get to reach that plus two, I would just increase the ISO to 200, 400, whatever. Um, but then I take, make a test shot and I just test, um, I make sure that the histogram is showing me that the spike is on the right side, but not quite touching the right side of the, you know, sometimes there's going to be specular highlights, which I will allow to blow out. But generally for a snow scene, for example, or any scene, I mean, I, I always expose to the right. Um, and that just gives you the most, uh, it gives you the most information, uh, the least chance of, of plugging up your shadows. But if the, if it's a very high, highly contrasty scene, I don't worry about the shadows. I'll let those get plugged up. Um, or, I mean, obviously, if I'm doing a low-key image, then that's different. But generally, I'll, um, I'll, I'll 
said it all first, looking at the meter with the little carrot there, telling me where I am. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I'll I'll just make a test chart and test the, the histogram. And then once I'm there, the light can do whatever it wants. I, I don't worry about it anymore. It's, it's set, and I'll, I'll just shoot until the light changes. Yeah. All right, guys, before we continue, I want to give a quick nod to our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. And if you haven't heard on the the previous shows that we've been raving about Squarespace, they have an easy-to-use UI for creating and managing your website or your blog. Um, It's fine-tuned for folks that have zero experience or folks that understand CSS or creative or uh, uh, cascading style sheets. They have hundreds of templates to choose from. You can take one of those templates and bang on it and mold it to fit whatever you need it to, to be. Plus they have iPhone, iPad apps to allow you to update and modify your blog or, or add content to your blog on the fly. The cool thing is they have a special support team in place to give you personal help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And on and on and on. They've got features like they've got a blog module, Flickr display modules in there, Twitter integration, Google Maps, etc., etc. It's all in there. If you'd like to get a free trial of Squarespace.com, you can just head over to their site, Squarespace.com. Sign up for your free account. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out. Build your website. Then if you decide that you want to purchase it, just use the offer code TWIP. 11 that's t-w-i-p 11 and you'll get 20 percent off your new account for six months that's squarespace.com with the offer code twip 11 all right guys we are coming in for the home stretch here this is the pick of the week segment where each guest on the show gives their pick and this can be software hardware gear workshop whatever as long as it is somehow related to photography all right martin i'm going to throw it to you first what is your pick of the week okay so i don't know if this has been mentioned before but uh, and it's a little bit expensive i mean i, I sound like I'm, I'm sort of some rich guy or something this this week and it's certainly <laughs> further from the truth but um i i wanted to mention nick software's color effects pro 4 um just because this is this piece of software is so much in in the, the fore of my mind at the moment, forefront of my mind. It's it's not cheap. It's uh, if you don't have a previous copy, it's one hundred ninety nine ninety five dollars. Uh, if you do, if you're upgrading, it's ninety nine ninety five. Um, but basically, this will it allows you to take. It's pretty much like Silver Effects Pro from Nick, but for color images. And and I say that because you can you can use things like the Detail Extractor or dark contrast and things to really, really pull out details in images that would otherwise perhaps be a little bit too um, bland. And, and I don't use it on all of my images, but if I, if I shoot something that I, I know is not going to be totally exciting or if it's just something that I've shot doesn't look totally exciting, and I'll, I'll perhaps crank up Nick Software's Color Effects Pro 4 and see if, it, see if I can make it any better. And a lot of the time, it really, really does. And cool. <clears throat> the reason that I mention this as well is that I actually put out a, a podcast video, a 1080p video last week showing you how to use this. So if people want to check that out on my blog, it's there. You can jump to that with, with the, uh, if you go to your browser, mbp.ac slash uh, 308 will take you to that. And so check that out before you buy it, and then you'll... Uh, you know, you'll you'll definitely know, and they have a demo version as well. So don't just jump in. 
but if you, you know, try the demo version, check, it, check out my video, and if it looks interesting, then you can buy it later. But it's really, really cool piece of software. Very cool. All right. All right, Steve Simon, I'm going to throw it to you next. Do you, what's your pick of the week? Okay, well, um, I came across, I needed an, another, a new monopod, and I came across a monopod recently that uh, was different from all others. It's uh, made by a company called Fisol, F-E-I-S-O-L, and the thing that makes it different is it's got these actual little support legs. So if you're working with a long lens or something and you want to just kind of put the monopod down somewhere, you can kind of use it as a, a mini tripod. And as well, uh, you know, now that it can be sort of, um, you know, supported by these three legs, it ends up, you know, you can use it for other things. You can use it as a light stand and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, anything to kind of uh, do double duty in my mind, especially when traveling, is good. So I like this monopod. It's, it's, it's one that I've never seen before, and it's kind of an innovative feature. Wow. And so, that's, a, that's well, at F-E-I-S-O-L, right? Yeah, it's called the uh, CM1473 Rapid, which just rolls off the tongue. Okay, <laughs> I'm putting a link in the show notes as we speak. All right, Thomas Hawk, what is All your right. pick of the week? Okay, well, obviously it's Google+, Plus, but no, no I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I do love Google+. Plus. I, it's, I've been more excited about that than anything. No, my pick of the week is the Canon 8-15mm f4 fisheye lens, Ooh. which is, I tell you... It came out this year, just a few months back. It's an amazing lens. I was on the fence about buying it. I went back and forth. There's like a whole thread in Google Plus for like uh, comments after comments after comments where I was trying to decide whether or not to buy this thing because it's expensive. You know, it's like, you know, fourteen, fifteen hundred bucks and you know, Jeez. for an oddball lens, for a fisheye lens, uh, you know, that's a lot to pay, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, I got it. I couldn't be happier with it. It's a fun lens. I've done a lot of, a number of photographs that have turned out with it that I've been so happy with. F4 is a little slow. You know, I'd be, certainly I'd rather have F2.8. But, uh, you know, the 8 millimeter, this, you know, and, and on a full frame sensor, it's, you know, that's like a circle. So you got to keep in mind, it's like a circle in the middle of the thing. So I usually square crop them. Um, but it's, it's a, it's, it's one of the most fun lenses I've, I've had in a long time. And it's, uh, it's a great Canon lens. Wow. And that's the 18 to 15 F4 fish eye, right? I'm sorry. No, the eight, eight millimeter. I'm sorry. Eight, right. Eight to yeah, 15 F4. Eight, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 18 to 15 would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would be. No, eight, eight to 15. And it's a, it's a wonderful lens. I'm, you know, I was really going, I was really on the fence about buying it. I bought it and I'm really glad I did. Awesome. All right. My pick of the week, real quick, is a, a monopod or a mono light from Paul C. Buff, the guy that's behind White Lightning and, you know, those, those strobes. It's the Einstein E640 flash unit. And I've got one on order right now. It is a, Ooh. it's a, it's a, I want two of them, but they cost 500 bucks each. So I can only oh. do one at a time. I'm not Martin. So I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Martin. <laughs> so I got one on order with their. I think it's. I think it's an 86 inch umbrella that that you can buy with these things. Um, but it's awesome. It's it's a. You have to go check out the site. We'll link to it in the show notes. But it's a it's a mono a mono light that which means it doesn't have a power pack. It's all self contained. Just plug it into the wall or a power pack, and it um it has a cool LCD on the back 
that you can control all aspects of the flash from. So you can, you know, dial in all your exposure and everything. And then it has this little thing that plugs into it that communicates with white lightning or not the white lightning, but with, um, the, uh, what, what's the radio? I'm, Pocket is, Wizard. Pocket Wizard. Thank you very much. That's the that's the company I'm looking for. So it communicates with Pocket Wizard, so you can control the thing wirelessly from camera position and just do all sorts of cool things with it. So, like, I'm still high on this workshop that I went to. That um, you know, we were shooting lots of glamour stuff, so I had to go buy this thing so I can try to recreate that magic in my house. So anyway, Frederick. Uh, yeah. Frederick, you you asked in the. Um your interviews that you did from that, you asked a lot of people why they got into glamour photography. Yes. Why are you getting into glamour photography? Because I like shooting people. It's not for the obvious reason of like, (laughs) you know, oh, hot women. It's because I enjoy shooting people. I just enjoy like, like you like landscapes. By people, you mean hot women? Well, yeah, they fall into that category, yes, but, <laughs> but I enjoy just photograph. I'm a portrait photographer, um, yeah. and I would, I would, I would classify glamour as a segment of portraiture. You know, it just happens to be a little bit bumpier. So, <laughs> so that's, I, I think it will suit you very much. It's, yes, uh, I'm a fan. I'm a, you know, and come on. I mean, in the other piece of it, let's be real, is shooting pretty girls. So, hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the piece I was fishing for. Yes. I am human. <laughs> hey, come on. Um, you know, even though I pretend not to be human when I'm behind the camera, I am human. <laughs> Anyway, so that's why. But anyway, thank you, Martin, for throwing me off track. <laughs> the Einstein E640 flash unit from Paul C. Buff is my pick of the week. All right, guys, we're, we're, guys, we're at the, the end of this episode of TWIP. Um, Steve Simon, you're going Periscope down again. Where, where, where are you going to be and where can people keep up with you to track you as you uh, are moving? People can uh, keep up with me on Google+. Plus. Uh, my mom's there following me, so you can join <laughs> us. <laughs> both there. But, uh, A brand know, getting, spanking I, new Google Plus account. <laughs> I'm definitely uh, getting involved. I'm sold. You guys are very convincing and uh, it, sounds, it sounds amazing. So uh, I haven't really participated to the great extent on these other ones so maybe google plus is a great way to to start off and i'm i'm hoping to get the passionate photographer.com blog going soon but awesome. until then uh twitter slash steve simon and uh steve simon photo.com is my website all right perfect all right steve all right thomas hawk where can people go to keep up with your 300 plus images posted per week all right, and by the way, I just followed Steve Simon on Google Plus. So. You're number I'm, one. I'm just, Look at that. Okay, I'll introduce <laughs> yeah. you to my mom. You should get a notification there. Actually, you have a few followers. It looks like, huh? No, yeah. you, that's you, a different like Steve a, Simon. <laughs> oh, is it? No, Doc, documentary photographer obsessed with all things photographic. That's yes, not you. That's me. That's me. Yeah. There you go. You have you you have fourteen hundred and eighty eight followers already. Oh, look at that, Steve. Oh, yeah. And I have. I I didn't even realize. You haven't even de- you look at that. You've already got over a thousand followers. Okay. So you know, oh. uh, people can find me uh, obviously on Google Plus. That's where I spend all my time these days. Just do a search on there for Thomas Hawk, and I'll come up. And then my blog is at thomashawk.com, and I'm on Flickr and Twitter and Facebook and everything else, just as Thomas Hawk. So you know, where, 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 wherever you like to go, I'll, I'll be there. But mostly, I'm spending all my time on on Google Plus. And everything's linked to my page at Martin, well, at www.martinbaileyphotography.com. 
and I, I just revamped my top page a few weeks ago so it's all it's all nice and snazzy and you can play around with the layout and that yourself so uh, take a look at that and all of my social networking links and everything there as well including google plus and twitter and all of that wonderful all right cool all right thanks guys and don't forget to tune into twip live on the last thursday of every month you can follow our twitter facebook or google plus pages to be page not pl- not plural to be reminded of that and also to keep up with everything in the twip universe you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com there you'll find links to all of our online presences. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment, nice, not naughty, on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the Twip Podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 